And we're live on the Jonathan Kogan Show, the number one apolitical, pro-human, pro-Earth, anti-nuclear war podcast on the internet. We got Dave Collum again, round two. Um, let's just jump right into it. This is something I've been thinking about. It's the number one question I have. And think about it in terms of like probability, just the whole encompassing the whole thing. What's more of a threat to humanity? The Ukraine-Russian war or the Ukraine war or the global financial collapse or meltdown of the financial system, which is a, of a more threat to humanity and possibly killing more people? Meltdown. Why? Because I think right now the Ukraine war is controlled. I think people are still making decisions what to do and not do. I think the meltdown will cause it to go chaotic. It'll become an emergent system. And and it it it... it it can't just be, you know, a 40% equity correction meltdown, but, you know, we could have something much, much worse. If we have that, then all of a sudden decision-making goes out the tube. So I still think there's guys deciding not to nuke each other and stuff like that. I, I guess I have some faith in that. I think the Ukraine story is an awful story. And I've, I've back when the cool kids were not doing it, I was criticizing NATO and supporting Putin and 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 saying this this story is being told completely ass backwards so so what what's well i don't know which way i want to go here uh yeah i know the fork in the road just showed up it's just so people, crazy how many things there are 20 seconds but yeah give, i guess give me your right now as of today and it's uh may 25th 2023 your global macro outlook on the financial markets where we're at now and where you thought we would be now and have you been right or wrong and what do you see lies ahead? Or do you early, see a recession? Or, or early. Early? Yeah. Well, you know, there's the guys who say if you're early, you're wrong. One very prominent podcaster. Oh, shit. I'm drawing a blank on his name. This is old age. In any event, very prominent. One of the early guys um, said early's wrong. And I sent him a write-up I wrote in 2002 on the subprime market and that it would collapse the banking system. And I said, was I early and wrong? And he, and he, he read it and he said, no, you, you're fabulously correct. So, so that's sort of my version of the sovereign individual, I guess. Um, and and it, everything held up except I thought JP Morgan would be ground zero. I thought JP Morgan would be the, the big mushroom cloud. And that part I got wrong, but I got, uh, I got General Motors and GM and GE and all the banks and I got all that right. I got the subprime crisis. I got the, you know, using derivatives market to pull risk forward again. I, I, I laid out that whole thing. Um, it just took five years. And so I'm amazed. I'm always amazed where I go, you know, that big, huge block of ice in the middle of the street should melt. Why is it melting? And I happen to be a kineticist, which is about rate. And sometimes things are slow. Thermodynamics says... That will become water. We know that will become water, but but it's a five by five foot block of ice, and it's not going to be water today. So what do you what do you look at though when you when we talk about a you know potential recession, depression, financial collapse? Do you look at the bond market first? Is that where you think the disruption is going to occur? Well, those are kind of symptoms, not causes. Um, the bond market. 
is said to be the smarter of the markets, right? Those are the smart guys. But but you've also that's where the the central banks all aim their their weapons to try to keep it in check. Um, I there's just this huge affiliation of all these things that have that have lined up to make it very bad. We've been in a 40-year bond bull. I think it's probably over. They tend to be multi-decade bull markets. Um, it was the most spectacular of them all in U.S. history. Um, and, 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 and so here, my pitch, this is my elevator pitch to get started at least, is that uh, recency bias is killing everybody. So 100%. they think that there's not a personal live almost to have the, the big picture from personal experience at this point. But let's the boomers, the older boomers might. Um, in 1981, the markets were valued at, at astonishingly low valuations. You couldn't give equities away. They had price earnings ratios back. I think back before they lied about earnings, <laughs> I think they were pretty good about reporting them. Uh, of six, and that was because inflation was roaring, and that's interest rates got driven through this, the roof by Volcker. And so the bond market was a great place to invest because it paid. Now, you didn't know it, but at the time, you didn't realize, but it, it paid, you know, it was paying upwards of 20% dividends. And so, you know, why buy an equity which had slaughtered you for the previous 15 years? So, so you couldn't give those away. Um, Russia was collapsing and starting to sell resources to raise cash. Uh, China was coming out of a protracted dark ages and started selling labor to raise cash. The, the demographics of the world were very good. And in the US in particular, the boomers were hitting the workplace. They brought their wives with them. So I wish someone had said back then, demographics is everything. I did well, but but. I keep thinking I did not understand what was happening. So everything lined up on top of that, interest rates were dropping from 16 to nothing. Um, Warren Buffett in his 1999 article said, that is the whole story. If you can tell me the long-term direction of interest rates, I can tell you the long-term direction of the equity markets. And so that was a bull market set up. And I think the one thing the central bank did is they managed the rates downwards pretty methodically. Now, did they manage it? Was it luck? I don't know, but it looks like someone took a ruler and said, look, over the next 40 years, we can drop these rates steadily from 16 to zero. And, and, then, and then it'll be game over. So everyone thinks low rates is bullish for equities. That's completely wrong. Dropping rates is good for equities. Once you're at the bottom, there's nothing left. There's no lemon, there's no juice to be squeezed from that citrus fruit. Low rates, if you talk to someone like Lacey Hunt, are a symptom of a stagnating economy. If you're willing to accept 2%, then it means you don't think the, the free market's gonna give you better. Well, you and can do so, negative rates. And you got negative rates. You could do negative rates, and 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 that's you could have sex with sheep every day. You could do all sorts of things. Um, the price of so time. So everything is a good was book on that. Everything was like exactly. Ex Edward Chancellor, um, yeah. brilliant book. Everyone should read Edward Chancellor. Um, everyone was, should read everything Edward Chancellor's ever written because that was a drunken Miller out, recommendation. Yeah, as soon as it, as soon as I saw the the pre pre order show up, I said, "Oh, that one I am buying." Um, 
And so everything lined up and the, the message of the price of time is the theme, recurring theme is every time rates get below 2%, you get screwed, royally screwed. So we got to zero, so I would call that below 2%. Easy money never, never wins in the end. And so, and then you got Peter Zihan's view of the world, which I'm not a fan of Zihan. He's I turned think into some a shield Zihan... for the deep state. He works oh for Oh my now, God, has he turned into a shield for the deep state. I it's think obvious. he always did. I think he always yeah. did. Huge neocons. But I, it, it shows, it shows so, so bigly. He said that but, there was but, no provocation for this war. Like two days ago, he's like, people are asking some stupid questions. They don't know anything about this. This is 100% just a random attack by Russia. Something like that. Go watch watch his video. It's unbelievable. Gorka say that the other day, and I just couldn't watch it anyway. I just, I I like to think I could listen to the other side, but these are just stupid statements. I don't understand why people can't just be dispassionate, objective, apolitical, and just assess every event on its own and just search for the truth. Why does it seem like everybody in this world, like it, it amazes me what percent of the population on either side has some sort of motive to be dishonest, to, to push something. And these guys can't use ignorance as an excuse. So the average bloke watching CNN can, you can say, well, they just don't know better. Sure. And they were fit. Now, our propaganda machine, yes, we have one in case someone hasn't noticed, uh, is bigger than the GDP of Russia. So it's, it's, it's insane to think that what we're getting is not propaganda. Well, did you see what um, came out yesterday? American First Legal, and Elon's been commenting on it, so it gets more, uh, you know, pe- more people see it on Twitter. That uh, a lawsuit has, or a Freedom of Information FOIA request has released documents showing ties to, and I could pull it up here of how the government is tied to these NGOs, all to silence and censor and survey the people of the United States, like in writing. They have documents of it. I'll see if I could pull it up real quick. It's unbelievable. Please. Do I'm not sure whether I saw it. I, again, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant on a daily basis. Now you're really getting just a snootful. And and as we were talking about before this started, it's disorienting. If you read books on totalitarianism, which I know you do, um, one of the most common properties of a rising totalitarianism is uh, confusion and disorientation, demoralization. Um, you saw Putin's speech yesterday. You see Christine. Yes. God damn, what's her name? Christine something. M- no, M- the MEP. Oh, Anderson. Anderson. I was on a Zoom cast with her. She a Zoom call with her. She's, She's very great. Good. So she stood up. So I think it was this morning even I watched it where she stood up and said, called upon the world to stop listening to their leaders, to stop believing their bullshit. I mean, she was, she sounded like a, 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 you know, Abby Hoffman from the 60s, you know, don't trust anyone over 30, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, and then I followed that with Putin's truly brilliant seven minute speech about what is going on in the United States. And he said, we have been down this path in the Soviet Union. It does yeah, what did not he compare work. It to? He compared yeah. to the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. That's right. It was uh, the most brilliant seven minutes that you'll ever hear. Out in way better than anything you'll hear inside the United States. Maybe yeah. someone like Tucker could pull it off, but yeah. very few people. I have this feeling in my gut that Tucker's gonna that he got that he still has some of the evidence of January 6th that he wasn't allowed to show 
and ultimately probably got him fired that he's going to show on his new show on Twitter and just well, going to well, it's going to blow everything up. I'm 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 a little worried about it, but I'm it's also could be a good thing. I that's just a gut feeling. I have no, you know, information that that'll happen. Well, there's several layers. One is I think there's that possibility. The other possibility is that we don't see any of it. And what that tells you about Tucker is he was too stupid to save the copy for himself or he's or not legal. releasing it. Could have or been he's I I I'd find a way to release it. I I it's way 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 too important. Well, if that happens, and then you see that, and I I didn't even plan again January sixth, but then you see uh, what's his name was uh, found guilty again or uh, eighteen year sentenced uh, for seditious conspiracy. If all this happens, and well, the was courts, that one of that one of one of the uh, Proud Boys or Oath Keepers? I believe it was the Oath, Oath Keepers, Keeper. yeah. Spencer. Yeah. Some I just saw it. Uh, got eighteen years, and now if. If Tucker were to come out and show videos and you see this coordination of feds and it's just obvious of them doing the violent, if that were to happen, I don't even know if that did happen, but let's say it did. And you have clear video of that. And then you see that the courts were corrupted, like that this person shouldn't have been sensed or whatever. What's going to happen? What, what well, they the already that... proved that with, they already proved that with Chansley. So we already know that to be true. Right. But maybe to, they, but they if, released if you see hundreds of people. I, I, yes. I mean, yes. that's just insane. Not only but that, so, I mean... it's staggering. It's staggering. So to me, I describe January 6th as, first of all, it was a, I think a lot of the political things that you see that's just mind boggling are to make sure that populism doesn't get old. And so whether it's Bernie Sanders populism, which or Ron Paul populism, or then Donald Trump populism. So if you look at the 2022 elections, it was about making sure that the message gets received that MAGA is not acceptable. Period. And they would have done the so, same thing to Bernie Sanders supporters if Bernie Sanders was president. It's the exact same thing. That's exactly they right. They hate and, the people. Pop, think about what populism is. It's ultimately the voice of the people. Yes, they're going to do anything they can to win, but it's the people. That's what populism is. And they don't think about that. They don't want that. That's a threat. They don't want the people at all. That's a threat. And, and Whit, Whitney the other day said they don't, they're not bothered by Trump. They're bothered by his supporters. And I think she's spot on. And that's Trump's advertising. He says, they're not coming for me. They're coming for you. I'm in their way. And I think that's a, I think that's true. So I, I, this podcast and myself, we don't trust any politician. We're apolitical. We just care about the truth. Didn't know that there was such a gap in the marketplace for telling the truth. That's how this podcast got started. Um, and so whether just, just looking at Trump and what they're doing to him, all this stuff, it just makes you they're they're making people kind of like like Dave Smith just said this the other day. They're like making you kind of root for him. You see every agency and every person against him. It's like making people say, oh, wow, like, you know, the underdog. Now. It's crazy. Like I've never seen. It's unbelievable. It is. And the other thing is, I believe that Trump, the total narcissist who had been planning about planning a presidential run for many years. So you can't just say just pulled it out of his ass like a new gag. He 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 gave serious interviews back in the 90s talking the 80s. about running. Right. And so he's had it up his sleeve just like Ross Perot did at one point, right? Sure. Um but I think what was statistically heavily weighted on narcissism, it's still going to be there, but I think he realizes that his narcissism can be fulfilled if he if he reaches for greatness. So I mean? think he's, well, see, I think, I think being in the limelight drove him early. 
And I think now he realizes that, 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 that the true path to narcissistic splendor is to actually achieve this, this, this stated goal of his to clean out the swamp and to deal with some of this crap. I think he realizes that that is his calling. And it doesn't mean it's not a narcissistic calling, but it's, it's, it's gelled into a more substantial calling. And yeah. I understand why people hate Trump. You got to understand. We all understand why people hate Trump because he, he's such a bizarre character, <laughs> right? It's a lot easier to watch sides. Obama. No, no, but, but, but what he seems to be trying to achieve, you got, I, I have to support that. It is wild. I mean, he, you got to admit, like he was funny on on CNN. Actually, I wanted to bring up uh, the whole thing with the oh, CNN. Yeah. but it, it was it was funny. But but let's just go back to the American First Legal. I have it up on the screen. I'll just read through some of it. I mean, this is crazy. American First Legal released documents uh, obtained from a FOIA lawsuit against the Department of State, exposing how the Global Engagement Center, which Elon Musk has called out on Twitter before for being a deep state censorship operation, carries out state propaganda through private media organizations. The GEC routinely coordinates with a global cartel of independent fact checkers led by the Pointer, uh, Pointer Institute for Media Studies, which operates PolitiFact, and members of its international fact-checking network, IFCN. IFCN received its initial funding from the Department of State-funded National Endowment for Democracy, which is a, a, a CIA front. Uh, the Omidar Network, That's uh, he's put a lot of money behind Democrats. He's the, I believe he's the owner of... Um, uh, uh, where uh, Glenn Greenwald used to be, what he started, uh, what's it called? Inter not Interscope. That's Interscope Records. Yeah, I know. Intercept. 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 Um, Google, he's tied to some really shady stuff. Google, which got their seed funding from uh, CISA, the, the CIA uh, VC arm, by the way. Same with Facebook. Facebook, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. CIA we know too from much about day that. one. CIA yep. from and, day one. And George Soros Open Society Foundations, which he has ties to the Nazis. Um, and for people who question that he literally is on 60 minutes in 1999 or 1998. And they asked him if he had a problem rounding up the belongings of the Jews when they were sent to the camps. And he said, <laughs> not at all, not at all, not at all. So, okay. So I'm not seeing you visually. I don't know if we run into a technical challenge or not. Oh, shoot. Really? Um, oh, but, but can yeah, you see I, the screen? I, I can see the screen. I just can't see you. I see a J in place of you. It's all right. Take you, down, you, you take know. down, take down the link. Take that down since that doesn't, since you basically got it. See if that brings your head back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, just crazy stuff. It just seems like so many I'm things. Still, I'm still not seeing your face. I don't need to see it. I just know that it might not show up when the time comes. Um, what should we do here? Uh, uh, we can do do the plan we talked about, and that is just do a reboot, or we we can hope it. It's just somehow communicates with my computer. Here, go ahead and uh, just stay on. I'm going to try and restart this real quick. Why don't quick. you go and come back? Yeah. Yeah. Hold there on. you are. Oh, I'm back? You just shut up. You came back. Bang. Do I look better? No. Okay. Great. Thanks. But um, it just seems like so many things are happening at once. It's just crazy. Um, so that's, that's coming up. And then I don't know if you saw. You, it's so crazy. You just talked about. Putin's speech. We talk about these documents revealing how much they're censoring us, although we already know that. And there's been a lot of evidence of that. And we've covered this on this podcast at great length. But also what happened is, did you see at the international COVID summit at the EU, did you see what David Martin said, Dr. David Martin? Well, he's a PhD. I did. My, my brother asked me if I thought it was um, 
some AI generated image. I said, no, because it was part of about an eight hour meeting. So I don't think so. Yeah, no, he, and, and he's been one of the most outspoken. He's definitely the most knowledgeable on this. Uh, he's in Plandemic 2. Uh, by the way, Plandemic 3 is coming out soon, The Great Awakening. So he, I'm in a Dr. Zoom group and he come, he would come and go from it. So they were all there. Isn't it was fantastic? All, all, all the, was all the cool kids. But what, what struck me was was the clarity of his presentations. How That's what he's great at. He he would just sit there and it was just laser guided prose, like it, you know, and 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 he was fantastic. The other guy, very impressive, Ryan Cole was was always very, very impressive. Um he's been off radar a lot lately. He has I, Lyme I disease. Oh he has Lyme. He's had it for a long he time. Also, well, he had a vaccine injury, which maybe was an exacerbation of the Lyme disease. Then. Oh, because he and one, we we chatted for about an hour and forty five minutes one day, just post post podcast Zoom call. There was just a couple of sitting around chatting, and he uh, he talked about how he can only go a couple hours a day. Yeah. Um, and and then he kind of runs out of gas. So maybe the Lyme disease flared up. I think the vaccine. Possibly the vaccine and COVID, right? You never know where they're working together. Um, I think it has this uncanny ability to find your weakness and go for it. I think if you've got some residual cancer, boom, you get it. You got some residual neurological problem, boom, it goes for it. It seems to just find out where the hell you, you're, you're starting to, to, to fail and it just accelerates it. I, I just don't know. I don't know. It, it makes no sense biologically to me, but it feels. Well, you know that what way. they, you know what they both have in common. They were both made by the same people. Well, there's that. <laughs> I mean, there's that. The the Lyme Connecticut Bioweapons Lab. Uh, yeah, I know. They were both made by um, the same people. It's. Um, do you think that most people now, as of today, have woken up to the fact that they've been bamboozled and fooled, and that it was a huge psyop and they're accepting it and moving on or do you still do you believe a, do you think it was a psyop or a fuck up what do you which one do you think it is the lying uh, one i believe it ultimately turned into a psyop regardless of the intent they it was taken advantage of i personally well, it becomes a I'm, I'm cynical. When they cover up when they cover I, I know up, everything that's going on in the world and how like how crazy everything is and i stay all i do is research what's going on in the world and based on everything that's going on today in the past three years in my mind it's like almost there's no question it's intentional yeah, I'm not. I'm not there yet. I think some of them are. I'm just not sure about lying. I think they example. had to get Trump out. That's one thing. So that this was the oh, yeah, big the way COVID, to do it. COVID played beautifully into that. I, I don't think it's just random. Uh, they also the you talk about the aging demographics and uh, how Drunken Miller talks about we're running into this phase from 2025 to 2035 when 80 percent of our spending will be for you know, social security and things like that, and we can't support it. So maybe perhaps we got to get rid of some people. And that plays right into the Malthusian cult, which already thinks that the world's too populated, even though it's a complete yeah. falsehood. And literally the most dangerous thing to our society is population collapse. And people, for some reason, don't understand that and that everything's well, aging. Uh, Elon does. He got Elon asked does. in a podcast. So does Jack Ma. That... <laughs> yeah. Um, Here's the funny thing Elon doesn't believe, which I do, and but it gives me pause because I do think he blurts out truths. Um, I do think he works for the deep state, but I think he also blurts out truths. I think he actually does both. Um, is he said he didn't think resource depletion was a big problem? 
I so okay. So let's take a step back. What do you so Elon clearly has ties to the deep state, whatever you want to call it. We're calling it the deep state. Well, uh, his companies his, are all deep state companies, right? I mean, that you yeah. have to. All of his contracts are from the most of them are from the government in some way and always have right. been huge money. Um, but if you go by, I just go by people's actions in each individual instance. And for months now, it appears he doesn't like the agenda that many elites are going into and seems like a direct opposite threat to them, almost in the same way. Again, this is nothing about my feelings towards either of them. It just seems similar to what Trump is doing. It's, it's almost identical Tucker, that they're pushing against the same people. Oh, and Tucker, but, but Elon's maybe Bigger. Tucker actually is a lot more powerful than that, but Elon's a step. He's the richest guy in the world. He, I mean, he's a, to put it to say, to go to say George Soros hates humanity and say that on like CNN, CNBC well, or whatever. Okay. He's really and, put and himself now, out there. And so maybe he's had sort of a midlife crisis where he said, look, you know, I'm only going to be on this planet for so long and I, I don't want to be the next Stalin Hitler combo platter. Um, but then look at who he put as CEO of Twitter. Yeah. So I think Elon's pretty strategic. I'm very aware. She's Linda, whatever your, her last name is. She's WF tied. She's got something. loves Larry Fink. Well, it's not who, just that. You listen to what she says. I, I'm going to give it a, a chance with an open mind and see. I ultimately right. think freedom of speech on Twitter will not be tamed. I'm optimistic about that. I think Elon will not waver from it. I'll be surprised. But if it happens, I'll call it out when it does. Um, she does like, uh, she has videos liking, uh, Larry Fink, who says on camera, they need to force behavior. Uh, and now mm -hmm. we see target, uh, having uh, satanic clothing, uh, to children and then adults with tux for whatever, whatever you think of that. That's fantastic. I don't care. We don't care what you are, but, uh, it seems like huge corporations are doing things that their own customers do not want. And that's so surreal, whether it's Calvin Klein this morning, whether it's Bud Light, you know, I got, excuse me, the Babylon Bee had a, had a, a parody issue where they, they said that uh, to, 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 to solve the problem they created, they're going to put a mullet on all the cans. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and in many ways, that conveys how stupid that appears to be from a from a free market capitalism perspective. The but we don't have free market capitalism. That's the well, truth. but and that is the truth. And what's really troubling is that all the companies are jumping in doing these decidedly self-destructive moves. And so, what is their motivation if it's not profit? Well. If you, if you, for example, in 2020, uh, at the WEF, uh, their theme that year was the great reset and the CEO, Mark Benioff, CEO of Salesforce was there and he was wearing a black suit and he was asked, why is he wearing a black suit? And he goes, because I am celebrating the death of capitalism. We well, are moving into something in else. Dow, that was a good step. <laughs> right. <laughs> And that's and they ultimately want stakeholder capitalism, where it's not just shareholder profits that they're going after. They need to take care. Of, you know, the earth has a stake, the people have a stake, and ultimately they just want more control over more things. And that's why you're seeing a demonization of capitalism, so we can get into a new system. Well, see, I don't buy the stakeholder capitalism. I think that's the buzzword, which so, was talked about I, in sovereign individual, by the way. Pretty impressive. I know. I know. That was shocking. Um, I've been. I've been pondering some issues lately and one hit me the other day and I've done, I do enough podcasts now where I feel like I'm recycling, but I know the world's big enough that the Venn diagram overlap of, of 
of podcast watchers is almost zero. Um, I, there was an article about super stocks the other day, and I, I read it and I dismissed it as the usual bullshit. And that is that they said, you know, these 10 companies uh, provided all the returns of the S&P, right? And, and, oh. and you look at the 10. And you go, well, first and foremost, they're all garbage. A lot of them are garbage, right? Facebook, that's just garbage. Um, I, there's obviously a reason for Facebook to exist, but if Facebook disappeared tomorrow, would the world be a better place? And the answer is yes. Uh, Tesla, garbage, because because they've proven they can't make an electric car. Well, I think they're more than that, though. So Elon recently said that the, his AI, the, so they're, they're one of the huge... Uh, they have one of the best teams for artificial intelligence development. And he says self-driving cars, that program is almost, he relates it to like having a, a, a monopoly on like, uh, uh, um, like other things prior. I can't think of the example, but he says that he expects it to be full functioning, ready to go by the end of this year, next year, the latest, by the end of this year. He always says that he there, does. There's, he does, real he smart does. Guy, there's, there's, there's guys who say, you know, the five levels of autonomous, there's got to say getting past level two is going to be unbelievably hard. The other problem is, is that the AI story might be a, another one of those things where you say, if that went away, would we be better off? And now I'm not a believer. Elon says there's a 15% humanity survives AI. And that seems hyperbolically silly to me. Um, I can't rule it out, but I think there's a 90% chance that that the world's in some many important ways going to be a shitty place with AI. And, and let me, let me tell you here, here, here's a, here's a thought. Have you noticed how frustrating the digital world has gotten, right? Yeah. We, we're screwing around with the computer before having trouble connecting and this and that. And that was how many, how, but that's still, that, that, that's, that's exactly right. Um, but how many times a week do I end up battling some password problem? Or how many times a week do you try to get some information and you, 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 you try to get to some call center and it just doesn't work well. There's things that just are, they've gone downhill. Yeah, and, I agree. And, 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 you know, you, you go to log in and it says, this is not the right password. And you know full well it is. And so you have to go through the whole process of getting a new password and this and that. And then you, then you say, oh, my phone's upstairs on the, the nightstand. And, and I got to, it just, it just seems like a pain in the ass. The way I look at that is that computers are, and there's no nuance. The computer's pretty much a, a, a yes, no machine. And if you slip your card into the credit card reader, it either says, yes, you get it, or no, you don't. If you slip, if you go past some computer guided, you know, safety check at the airport, they say, yes, you get through or no, you don't. Like a and, zero and one. It's a zero one. And it, it gives you the answer. And if the answer is not what you want, not only can you not have a discussion on the topic, there is no human who will say, look, let me help you out here. There's no, there's no nuance. There's no nothing. It's just the computer has decided. So then the question is, will this really be? So to me, this a computer make in. right, right. Well, AI is already showing very disturbing tendencies, and I personally ran into one that bothered the hell out of me. 
So I first tested it and I asked, write, a, write, a, write an essay about myself. I gave them the commander and it was oh remarkably good. It captured right extremists, conspiracy No, theorists. no, it was actually more of this odd combination of chemistry and finance and oh. politics and stuff like that. So I thought it did a good job. One day on Twitter, I said, um, I said, uh, this year when I write at the end of the year, I'm going to just write about funny shit. And I said, so I'm working on my World War III jokes today. And, and so that was just a typical tweet of mine. And then I got this idea. I said, oh. So I went to Chet GPT and I said, Chet, uh, could you write me some World War III jokes? This is a very simple request for AI. Remarkably simple request, right? People have done extraordinary things with AI. I'm just saying, dig through. There's war jokes. But it won't. By the it's countless- too dangerous. That's what it probably it says. It wouldn't do it. Yeah. It said yeah. World War II is not three, would not be funny. You shouldn't be writing jokes about. Well, that's the way we're living did... right now. You no, no, make... no. But where did that value judgment come from in the world of AI? How did that? Sam how did that? Okay. Now, so then there's people who say they ask for something from AI might be about vaccines or some topic that you can. And I don't know how it works, but apparently you can then challenge AI and say, well, this is not true. Tell me about this. And AI seems to throw the bullshit at you. And then you challenge the bullshit. And then it actually says, well, actually. So it's like talking to your teenager. And then the question is, why is why is AI, why do you have to extract teeth from AI to get answers that it says are more valid? Because I think where it's at right now in terms of the technology, I think it's literally like a four-year-old or a five-year-old. And the thing with AI is it's exponential and it gets smarter on top of itself. And so it literally is like raising a human, but you're raising AI. And so it's like five years old right now. But after three years of people doing this, it's going to be like 18 years old. And it's going to be like a seven-year-old wise man. Why 20 seconds later did it come up with a more authentic and truthful answer when you challenged it? Well, they they might be doing that for specific reasons to see. Who's they, though? So who's the they? That gets That's complicated because cause I, how do you write morality and political bias and stuff into code at the level that AI is working? I mean, um, well... I mean, as a, as a base layer, they don't know. I mean, the base layer is taking all the information up to OpenAI, like up to 2021. But then it get it, there's neural networks that talk to each other, and like our brain does, and it gets smarter. And they don't know how it evolves. That's what Elon's that's saying. That's well, the scary part. That's the paperclip problem. Like if you say to the uh, to the AI, we want you to make the most paperclips as possible, and then they they're like, okay, we want to make or, or whatever it is. Like we want to have the most effective paperclip. And so paperclip everything, paperclip papers. That's like, oh, wait, humans are actually being destructive for, for me paperclipping. So let's get rid of the humans so I could paperclip them. Like, well, that, I so think, it gets out of control. So, so there's a story of a guy who started chatting with AI, forming a relationship, which I think there Lambda. is some sort of logic. And, and before long, the AI was telling him to dump his wife, yeah. do stuff like that. It's just... And so it's an emergent system. And it's a, there's a kind of a danger to that because it lacks the nuance. No matter how smart it is as AI, it, it lacks the nuance, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I'm not sure you want to live. Do you really want to live in a world where everything you read 
is from a computer everything do, no. do you really want to live in a world where you're talking to me and you don't realize that i'm not real you can't that's even the, tell that's the scary part that's why that's where crypto uh that's where crypto comes in to be able to like cryptographically sign something that verifies your identity you're gonna have to because based on like this interview and just having us say a few words they're gonna be able to produce someone in the future is gonna be able to produce podcasts of like both of us and it looks yeah. authentic oh, and perfect and it's not us so you need to be able to cryptographically sign it with your name and that's somehow tied to your digital id which is also scaring a fact because that could also be nefarious like there's a lot of nefarious things going well, on right so now i'm i'm i obviously am intrigued by crypto due to the uh due to the uh independence of it and i'm uh i'm also leery of it for a host of reasons one of which is it could be one of the great fads that that chapters of books are written about no go i remember back when we thought we we're all going to get rich but like everything going on right now you're we're like in a society that's encroaching on more authoritarian central planners and in a time like we've never seen where civil liberties are like it just seems like not like unironically like, encroaching i don't think we're encroaching on oh, it we're in it i think we're marching headlong into it we're much headlong into it. And then you talk about Bitcoin and then you talk about crypto and how it could be decentralized and, you know, you can verify your ID in, in some way without the, it just seems like it's the very antidote to what we're marching headfirst into. It's like, so obvious. It's like, obviously what Bitcoin's going to have to what if it's What if it's part of, of the absolute tracking? What if you're reading this wrong? What if, what if they're crowdsourcing the intellectual demands of developing crypto and 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 they said okay let's put it out there the boy geniuses of the world will knock the kinks out of this then it's ours now when the f when, when someone gets when someone gets their bitcoin stolen i read articles fairly regularly about the fbi retrieving it how well, this is this is what this is what Ledger just got. In tr Ledger said they wanted to. It's a it's a cold storage for for Bitcoin and for other crypto. And they said we want to add a software update that allows you to get your recovery key from us should you lose it. And people go, well, what about if the Feds retrieve it? They go, yeah, but we need to be subpoenaed, and we'll never be subpoenaed by them. So now, and the whole community was outraged. This was on uh, what Bitcoin did podcast, and they they're like, okay, we're gonna delay this now. Because they were literally making it so if they got subpoenaed by the F by anybody, they would have to turn over those keys. It literally is the opposite of what you want for cold storage, and they were considering doing that. So, well, so this is the, but part of this is the problem because so so one of the reasons I'm not into Bitcoin is that I have enough. We were just talking about the stress of having to deal with a computer. I have enough stresses in the world without wondering. If some VPN fuck up is gonna cause me to lose serious sums of money. And I know the bank could do it. I get it. I and so I own a house and I own physical gold and I own uh physical beanie babies and you know and, and and so I'm diversified in that sense, well aware that I could be clobbered in a lot of ways. But um and my house could be burned to the ground by vigilantes who are, you know, Bolsheviks. And there's all sorts of ways it could go bad. At some point, I down 30 Valium and call it a day. I, this is just, I, I don't, 
I don't cherish life enough to say I'm going to be that guy starving to death on the street begging for no, I'm out of here. I'm gone. This sucks. I've already made it around the bases enough times. I, I'm out of here. I've already done all the things I'm going to do from here on. out, just drool and drool. Right. And uh, and so. Um, but but doesn't crypto have its origins in NSA white paper? Does no, that I, not creep anybody out? I mean, when I so I separate crypto and Bitcoin, Bitcoin seems to be uh, the opposite of CBDC. So let me ask you. Would you? Even oh, I care? don't support CBDC. But but oh, would no, you I care? care about that. If you were forced into CBDC, would you really care? And if you would, why? Because of the voucher component of it. But we're already in a CBDC. If you don't consider the voucher component. Well, it's a big. My wealth is di my wealth is all digits. But 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 it's different. In, it's 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 different in terms. Of it's one ledger. And so they can then say, okay, we can expire these funds if not spent in 60 days. We no, can no, prevent you from right. not having meat. They that's can't right. do that now. Sure, it's digital, that's, but it's not one ledger. The that's the voucher component of the CBDCs. Right. Where they can say, we're going to, they're not just, they're not just digital cash. Right. They, they can, they can cordon off various pieces and no, you can't buy beer this week because you've been drinking too much. Right. I, there's just Bud Light. I'll buy Bud Light. How's that? You know? Um, yeah, they'll force you to, to buy satanic clothing from Target, probably. That's right. That's right. And and Calvin Klein transgender clothes and stuff like that. Um, yes. And, and so I just don't, I don't have any faith that I can see, that I can see into the present with clarity and see into the future with clarity. And I don't need to be sitting around going, I, I, I have a lot of my wealth tied up in Bitcoin. And people say, well, just get a little. I go, well, then I don't care. So I can be life changing. Well, the other argument, too, I, it's, I don't it's need more, it. more for younger people. Like, you know that your currency is being debased. You know yep. that they're inflating the value away. You are yep. guaranteed mathematically to have less purchasing power in the future with your U.S. dollar than you do. You know that. That is factual. If you like, sit you, on cash. If you sit right. on cash. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think a big argument is people who are perhaps like in their 30s are saying, well, if you go down that road for 50 years, well, you might be taking wheelbarrows to get, you know, a loaf of bread, like the Weimar Republic, you know? Well, by so, the way, when I was a kid, that that was the storyline, just for the record. Oh, uh, well, well, it we goes know. that far back. Easy enough. My, you know, when Social Security, the first Social Security check was written, Social Security was underwater. There's people who think Social Security has money. I, I don't know how you can be that stupid. Social Security never has money. Social Security has always been about just taking from tax revenues and paying people. But, but what or about printing those, money? What about when those revenues aren't there? For example, with Druckenmiller's thesis of how eighty percent in 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 twenty thirty five will be just paying for that, and so we won't have money for anything else, like the military, all that stuff they love spending so, money on. So these idiots who say Social Security is going to run out of money in twenty, you name the date. What are they talking about? Social Security has no money. There's no money in Social Security. There's no lockbox. The, they're saying the government won't have the funds to pay for to pay it. That's right. But but when they say 2030, they're not. I don't think I don't think they're saying that 100% of tax revenues is going to Social Security. I think they, they're pretending like there's some quantity that that Social Security has, and and I think that's because it makes people feel better thinking there's a quantity of social security money. 
I mean, it do you, does not exist. So like, uh, uh, Chamath Palapatia, the all in podcast, he was one of the first people, he is of the theory that our debt doesn't matter. We could be, you know, we could be 160% debt to GDP. We could be 200%. We can have 40 trillion debt. Nothing matters. We're the center of the economy. We're the world reserve currency. There's no risk to us. Do you agree well, with that? Well, shows it's Chamath. No, Chamath's full of shit. Well, so what's the he's, ultimate? He's, he's, he's like me. He's one of these guys who knows one field and thinks he knows another. No, he's full of shit. Meanwhile, he used to love Bitcoin. Now he says crypto's dead in the U.S., but that's just a separate issue. Well, therefore, right? So he obviously was wrong one of the two times. Well, is there a is there a certain threshold with this debt to GDP? Is there a threshold when defaulting? It, what happens to the U.S. economy over the next 10 years, 15 years? I mean, is there a time when people aren't going to get World their benefits? World War II. World War II. What people don't know about World War II that doesn't get stated is that 40% of the global debt just got erased, just got wiped out, bombed into oblivion. Hmm. So, it's, so there's stuff like that that happens. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be okay. Druckenmiller's dead, right? I'm 100%. I read The Coming Generational Storm 20 years ago by, 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 by Larry Kotlikoff, and I've had conversations with Larry about it. And we are, I'm going to have to extrapolate a little because last time I asked him for his best guess was a few years back. But, but I'm guessing we're $250 trillion in the hole if you include off-balance sheet debt. Oh, okay. So... So unfunded liabilities are liabilities when you say, okay, take all the goddamn promises you've made to everybody out to eternity. Take the revenues that you can project rationally out to eternity and say, what's left? What can we simply not imagine where that money's going to come from? It's $250 trillion. We have promised $250 trillion, which Take all the imaginable revenues from our taxation. That's what's left. That's that's the IOU on the future. That can't get paid. Right. So there will. It's sort of like one of those things that, what is it, Stein's Law, what can't go forever stops. It will find a way to stop. That you and I think we can figure out what that will be is, is the fool's folly. I mean, for example, Bank of America came out today and said, U.S. treasuries are the riskiest asset in the world. What do you think of that right now? I uh, So my guess is that's all part of, I mean, there could there could be a problem. So, so, so if the world is unstable, right? Think of it as we're sitting on a, on a gigantic pile of dynamite. And we're just waiting for someone to light the goddamn fuse. It's conceivable they're looking at this debt ceiling, saying that's the spark. It's not the cause, right? If for some reason they default for a few days and then they put together the world's, unless it triggers an emergent response, like the, the ping pong balls and the mouse traps. you've seen that. One ball goes in, blah, 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 and next thing you know, you just a, a raging inferno. Right. But that's not something you can predict. So if people say, look, the U.S. is good for it, we'll give those loonies in Congress a couple of days to figure it out and then we'll get paid. There's no problem with that in theory, but it could be there's triggers. And so it could be could be that's what they're saying. Now, the other thing is 
here's what Congress, here's what's possibly happened. Congress has these protracted debates about money. Remember when they decided not to bail out Wall Street in 08? Right. Congress voted no. And then for another two weeks, the inferno raged on, and then they all voted yes. Can you imagine how much money flowed into Washington, D.C. during that two weeks? Oh, yeah, of course. So yeah. when Congress is in, an, in a protracted battle over money, they're getting rich every hour. Oh, geez. Every day. So they're really willing so what, to push up to the brink. So what for an we're extra dollar. seeing is a fundraiser. Oh, my God. Think about it. That's sick. Well, and also if you're battling over some debt limit and there's horse trading, you don't want your horse traded away. So you're going to be starting loading up those lobby dollars onto your favorite politician saying, look, dude, don't let us get thrown under that bus. And that's the biggest lobby group there is, the banking cartel. All, the bank. And and also it's just kabuki theater too. Yeah. Remember sure. in 0809, probably don't, you're probably too young. Um You've read about it. I don't know. How old are you? I was in college. Okay. Citigroup said Citigroup says we're hedged. By whom? And whoever Who that is probably hedged to Citigroup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so Citigroup hedge is funds. hedged. How many hedge funds? All of them. <laughs> and where did they get their money from? Citigroup. Citigroup. Right. So, so it's an absurd statement. So so as I asked rhetorically on that statement, I said, who? The Klingon Empire? What are we talking about here? So then. Um, so then I get irritated when people. Blame SVB for their collapse. I get irritated when people say this is just a minor thing. I just finished a book almost done. Maybe, I don't know, two percent left on the uh, the real estate bubble in Florida, which played a much more important role in the Great Depression than people realized. But it's a it's a it's it's both a great book and a bad book because there's there's too much random shit in it. But the 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 mania of the Florida real estate bubble was a sight to behold. It was very dot comish and, and huge money was flying around. Wealthy people were flying around. And at the end the people who were the highest flyers ended up, ended up basically walking around in shoes with no souls in them. They were begging for food. It, it was just horrifying when you look at the bloodbath that occurs after the, after such an event. But but what's also striking is the bank failures. They began in 1925. Hmm. It took years for them to pick up real speed. So now what's the problem I have with SVB? Well, first and foremost, I can't imagine how you would rationally run a bank under the conditions of monetary policy of the last 10 years. How could you, what do you do? You can't make money. There's, there's no rational way to run a bank when the market can't determine the cost of money. And you wake up in the morning, you go, Paul did what? Right. So what do you do? Well, you start cutting corners. But if I had told you five years ago, imagine I said this in a public forum. Within the next five years, the regional banks are all going to go bust. 
because they bought treasuries. How insane would that be? Wild. And then they say, well, you know, SVB was so terribly managed because they didn't hedge. And I go, back to the who hedges them. SVB was quite a bit of money. It's just one of how many thousand banks in the country? Maybe more. Well, in 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 the, the late 20s and 30s, we lost 12,000 banks. Oh, it's an goodness. extraordinary bloodbath, right? And so, so this idea, you can hedge one, you can hedge another, you can't hedge them all. And we're sitting on this gigantic, humongous stack of dynamite waiting for the spark. And, and they'll blame the spark. They'll of blame course. SVB. They'll That's blame a... the, the other banks. I can't even remember their names because they're not as memorable. Let's talk about the, the second part of that too, which was the, literally the previous podcast I just made, the one right before this. This is amazing. So the other ticking time bomb is commercial real estate and these regional banks are the oh largest lenders God. to commercial oh. real estate. But wait, there's a nefarious other thing going on that people don't know about, which is you have commercial real estate and the way that their uh, agreements, like let, let's say you want to do remodeling of a commercial you know, real estate property you have, the way it worked with the banks, these regional banks is, let's say you need $10 million. They'll say, okay, mm -hmm. we'll give you 2 million. And then you come back, give us another 2 million, another 2 million, right? Well, you have people that have got 2 million, 2 million. Now the banks, they're going to get that next 2 million. They're ready. And the bank's saying, we're not lending anymore. And so there are theories that these commercial lenders, the shadow lenders they're called, BlackRock is working with these banks where the banks are not going to give them their next payment. So they're going to default on it. The bank will take control of the property. Banks aren't there to manage properties. They don't have the bandwidth for it. BlackRock then takes that from the bank on 50 cents on the dollar. And that's how they get control of all the commercial real estate. Right. Um, you just Thoughts. went off screen again. You might try to figure out a way to reconnect again. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. I can hear you. Um, so you work on that and I'll, I'll rant. Um, so you knew something was wrong with Silicon Valley bank when Jamie Dimon started saying, bring your money to, to, to JP Morgan is safe because that probably broke some number of federal laws. Um, it certainly was irresponsible. Um, it certainly showed you where his bread is buttered. And, and so it looks like a hostile takeover. Um, you've, you've, they, they, they know they can scoop up banks on the cheap. Uh, I always wondered where the residential real estate went. So Catherine Austin Fitz, for example, says that, that what a lot of these crises are about are about, about creating the crisis to scoop up the real estate, as you just said. And, and so, so where did all the, the massive excess inventory go in 0809? When people, there you're back. When people, um, when people uh, defaulted, and I said, "Well, who's sucking up all the inventory?" Well, it turns out it's now single-family home rentals at high prices. And what I was assured before that event is that single-family home rentals are, are about the most wretched business you can be in. If you want to make money, you have to build a rectangular building that holds 500 units, and then you pack them in tight and then you make money. And, uh, and not always, that's not by no means a guaranteed road to riches as many have learned. Um, 
But single family housing is awful. I mean, if you look at how much I could rent my house for, how much it costs, you're never getting your money back. Well, the way you do it is you, first of all, you jack up the rent. You get it to a razor thin profit margin by the cost of capital being unbelievably low so that you don't have any carrying costs. And then you leverage your ass off. BlackRock supposedly was building its real estate portfolio, buying up all the houses. And there were aggregators. They remind me a lot of actually the chit aggregators in post-Soviet Russia, hmm. where the oligarchs ended up with all the chits. The aggregators would buy them from people say, here, I'll give you a loaf Same of bread, thing. you starving bastard. Give me your chits, right? And, um, and, uh, and black rocks. That's who oh, runs yeah. the United States. They, we know that. That's right. Um, BlackRock supposedly was getting its money, its leverage at 0.15%. Now, that's not a market-based rate. I think it was yesterday or the day before, and I've asked this question several times, but now with inflation raging, people took it more seriously. So I asked this a couple of years ago, but inflation wasn't raging. I said, imagine, hypothetically, you're offered a 30-year treasury. There's a risk it'll default, but that wouldn't even go into my calculation, not for a while at least. Um, inflation's the unknown risk. What, and, and let's imagine you had to buy it, put it away, not sell it, and you can't hedge it. So this is not a trade. You are buying a revenue stream, period. What interest rate would you demand? For 30-year treasury. Now, after 20 years, it could default, maybe. After some number of years, it's inflation will chew away on it. So yeah. what would be a rate that you say, okay, give me a million dollars worth of those? I mean, what interest have, rate would you demand? Doesn't have to be at least like 7%? Well, I, I demand more. I yeah, think, I, I, say think more. I'd say, I would say like 15%. Think, think about, right. Why is that not the price? Why is the price of treasuries not reflect that? That's what a free market would do. It, it, a free is, market would price it. Is there because there's um, a higher probability of of default on that than we think? Is that, no, is that part of the calculation? It's just, uh, I'm a macro guy. So if I look at a company, I look at its balance sheet and say, do they have debt? Do they have earnings? Do they have cash flow? Do they pay a dividend? And are they stable? And if I buy it, I try to buy a company like I were buying a grocery store. So the United States balance sheet is terrible. Right. But there is a revenue stream from taxes. So there's all that. But there's sure. also inflation that's unknowable and stuff like that. And so, so pe some people said, well, I would never buy one. I said, well, what if it returned 50%? You'd have your money back in two years. That would be a great investment. The yeah. rest would be profit, right? So that's a stupid statement. So then we start negotiating. It's kind of like the hooker joke where you say, how much would you take to you know, give some guy a Hummer? Yeah, I would never do it. I go, not for a million? Oh, man, right. you're nuts. Yeah. I'd blow everyone for a hundred, for a million. Um, 
And so she started negotiating back. She started thinking, what would it take for me to take the risk? And default would be the least of my concerns. Inflation would be way up there. And unknown variable inflation would be way up there. Right. And I'd be in double digits before I took that bet. And if it was a big ass bet, I'd be trembling. I'm pretty sure so, Hugh Hendry actually likes what it is at the current rate, but I no, 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 no. Hugh's a trader though. Oh, right. He right. likes it. He likes it until next Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and that, a lot of people respond to the question saying, "Why well, you don't buy them to hold them?" I said, "Someone's going to own them for thirty years." Excuse right. me. Right. These things are revenue streams that you guys are trading, and if you want to trade them like Beanie Babies with the price tag still on them, so they're worth more. <laughs> have a ball but so 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 this gets to a topic that's been bugging the crap out of me and that was the super stock story from about a week or two ago where someone um someone wrote an article said there's 10 stocks that are the entire return of the s p and 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 so of course what's the emphasis the emphasis is we got to own those 10 i go well excuse me but you don't know what those 10 are so good luck with that right you say well it's microsoft and video i go not going forward it's not buffett buffett nailed that one this year saying look 14 of the top 20 companies in the world in 89 were japanese hmm. All right, those yeah. were not the super stocks yeah they were That's the true. super stocks of yours so so the next super stocks you don't know their names yet so then you say, well, then I got to buy the whole market, which pushes you back to indexing, which pushes you back to this idea of this vast flow of money just buying dumber and dumber assets. It's a pizza that's growing at a very slow pace. And the demand for slices is growing at a much stiffer pace. So you're getting smaller slices of the pie. As you So that's, that's how the valuations get so high. But here's Assuming the thing that it keeps me. growing. Well, that, yeah, let's assume it keeps growing. If it stops growing, we go into a Great Depression, then you're totally humped, right? But let's pretend like, let's be, let's be optimists here. Okay. <laughs> but what, about two days later, I started thinking about it. I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're, everyone's missing the story. The story's not about the super stocks. Let's call it the S&P 490, right? According to that story, there are 490 of the largest companies in America not the 10 biggest or not the 10 super stocks that are returning nothing. Now, if I offered you a gas station to buy and you bought it and you owned it and you, everyone who worked for it got paid and everyone got their gas and everything. And 10 years later, you had made nothing. That was a real stupid move. So now we've got this situation where we've got 490 companies that according to, you know, Yahoo Finance, whatever the hell it is, make nothing. And right. it, so on the one hand, you say, well, they, a lot of jobs, a lot of people, you know, provided goods and services, but the owners got nothing. How does that happen? And, and, and here's where it goes back a ways for me. I realize that when we democratize the market, if you look at the market of yore, you just went off screen again. It'll come back. But I'll keep talking. If you look at 
the markets of yore, like back in 1929, stock prices were like a hundred bucks a piece. That is not in any way consistent given inflationary adjustments, consistent with, you know, 10 stocks for under 10 bucks kind of thinking. Those are big, huge blocks of ownership. And the reason was is because the stock market was owned by wealthy people, pension funds, you know, big, big swinging dicks. And then in the 70s, defined benefit plans, which put all the risk on big swinging dick corporations and put it back on Joe Sixpack. Can you still hear? I just want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back. I think, I think it's because okay. you have a lot of tabs open. Yeah. Um, so, so, so at one point, the markets were under what I'd call adult supervision. All the investors were activists. All the investors were of, of a caliber that, that expected earnings, revenues. IPOs didn't used to didn't used to go public until they showed they had earnings. And then we democratized in the mid seventies when corporations said, holy shit, let's get the risk off our books and handed it over to defined benefit plans. And Jack Bogle uh, comes up with index funds, which means now no one has to think and no one's responsible. So if, if, if the S and P index funds owned by, a hundred million people. Who's going to be the one to say, "Hey, you're fucking up"? So what's going to happen? There, there is no super. Well, so so. What we've done is we've we've got all these companies, therefore, that are currently priced that are not profitable. Now, this is a, this is a long torture story, I know, but it actually fits together. So I one time asked Jack Bogle that question. And either he did not understand me because he wasn't paying attention or he agreed, and I'm not quite sure which. But I said, by, by indexing, you take away adult supervision. There's very few Warren Buffetts out there. Right. And Warren Buffett is not telling Vanguard what to buy. And so, so, um, so then what happens is you, you um, lost my train of thought, but I still got places to go. Oh. Now let's go back to 2008-9 when Goldman Sachs had been bailed out and all of a sudden they had a lot of money. And I remember they paid themselves bonuses. Now my theory on their bonuses was it wasn't as garish as it, well, it, it made sense to me because I believe the guys at Goldman said, we're totally screwed on this one. Because even they didn't see $30 trillion flowing into the system the way it did. And my guess is they said, this is the last chance oh. to, to snarf down a pile of money. So that's their money. Before, before this game's over. Huh. So then Maria Bartiromo, they're talking about it. And they're talking about the sort of the scandalous nature. And then Maria says, well, what else are they supposed to do with the money? And I'm watching this going, how about a fucking dividend, you assholes? How about give it to the owners? of the company. And at that point, I realized that the Goldman guys still think they're a partnership. They don't realize they're publicly traded. They don't think of themselves as publicly traded. Or they don't care. But the other way to think of it, or they don't care, right? But the other way to think of it is two things. One is like water rights. 
by the time, if you're at the end of the Colorado River, you get nothing. Right. It's, it's, it's been consumed. And we're at the end of the Colorado River. So, so, so we're getting the trickle. It's a trickle down profit. So the owners, 100 million owners, are no longer people who can say, if you don't pay me, I'm getting the fuck out of the stock because there is no central nervous system now. There are no people to sell off that stock. There are is no that... people who even care if Enron cheats as long as as long as they don't lose their money, right? I mean, you mean in like the grand scheme, and so, like the end of so the then, Colorado River, like like is that why we're seeing a lot of crony capitalism now, like in terms I'm just of like talking... Pfizer and all this stuff, and people just taking all the oligarchs taking out well, as much money I, in the system? I think I. It's not just the oligarchs though. By the time all the people are taking their cut who are on the like like when elon took over twitter he fired 90 percent of the people because they weren't doing anything but they right. were they were bloodsuckers on what twitter could have been and so by the time the money has been everyone's grabbed their what they perceive to be their share there's nothing left for the owners and it reminds me a little bit of the Cantillon effect, where they say, you know, when you have an inflation, the guys who get the money first make the money, and the guys who get it at the end get debased currency. Hmm. And that's always Joe Sixpack at the end. Yep. So you're off screen again. Um, so, so I realized that we have utterly lost the idea of owning a revenue stream. And by the way, the 10 companies, they're not really a revenue stream either. These are pump and dumps. Let's pick an example. NVIDIA is trading at something like 30 times sales. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So if you've made money off NVIDIA, it's just a stock getting bid up. It's just, it's like, it's like owning an NFT. <laughs> the chart looks like it. Right? That's all it is, is owning Hunter Biden paintings. <laughs> the market value is totally subjective because it's not tied to a revenue stream because they don't have it. They don't have a cash flow. And so then you say, well, how about Microsoft? Microsoft's gains over the last 10 years, something like sixfold of those gains. Our valuation rise. They're not Microsoft making more and more money and Microsoft making more and more products. It is a rise in valuation from a PE that was like nine to a PE that's in the stratosphere somewhere. So Microsoft, so, so then, I, then I go back. Now let's go back to 1981, punchline. In 1981, when the shit was bad, interest rates were high, the Ruskies were we're just starting to try to deal with their problems. And so they started to flood the world with, with, the, with the resources and China started flooding the world with, with, with labor and the boomers started flooding the world with eager beavers and, and the Fed started dropping rates. The valuations of the market, which are inherently inflation adjusted because they are the price of the market divided by something that also ought to track it. So if it's a valid valuation, it can move around, but over eternity, it pretty much ought to just flutter around. Now, 
what's the best metric of, of whether the market's made progress? Well, one of the best metrics is Ron Grice of the chart store plots the S&P not versus the CPI adjusted S&P. He plots it versus the M2 money supply. Well, what is it? Well, you know, ask an economist, but it's a low level money supply, but it's, it's kind of like, you go, that wouldn't be a bad inflation metric. The M2 supply is growing, then the money supply is growing. And I know there's derivatives in the and and the the, the the deep state dark banking system and shit like that. But the M2 money supply is better. Dollar. And and it turns out that over the last hundred years, the markets haven't moved. Right, right. Yeah. They, they've gone up and down, they haven't moved, which means all you get are dividends. What were the dividends a hundred years ago? About four percent which is the number Buffett said you can expect to make from the markets. And what are they now? I don't know, 2%, less than 2%? Which means the markets are 2x overvalued, which is exactly the number all the valuation metrics show. And so, so, so then here's the staggering number. And I follow about 25 valuation metrics. If you go from the trough valuations of 81 to the present, 40 years, by essentially every metric, price to book, price to revenue, price to you name, the valuations, which should not be moving measurably, they should just flutter around, um, compounded, annualized, 3.5% a year for 40 fucking years. Now, if there's ever a mean regressing metric, it is valuations. They will come back down to a trough where things are cheap and people don't know it and they're too stupid to buy it. What if the next 40 years has a 3%, 3.5% headwind en route to the next trough 40 years from now? That's 7%. a 7% swing in the inherent reference, the, 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 the steady, monotonous march of the markets. It's a 7% swing to the downside. How are you going to win? You're going to win like a Japanese businessman owning the Nikkei. That's how you're going to win. You're not. <laughs> you're going to win. Look at that. Look at the, um, let, me just, let me just get this. Look at the um, the DAX. Let me see if I can find this. Uninflation adjusted. The DAX or the FTSE or whatever. Where's the DAX? Let's do the FTSE for Christ's sakes. From 1999 to the present, uninflation adjusted. The FTSE went from 69.30 to 75.70. That's a first world index. Boy, I hope they had dividends. Yeah. Is this, let's see. <clears throat> Is this what you're talking about? There's the DAX. How far back does it go? Uh, this one nah, is 95. That's a, that's a short term. Yeah. Right. So if you go to the peak, 
If you go to the peak, you peak to peak, peak to present. Peak to trough is awful. If you own the peak of the market in 1906, I might have told you this before because it's an obsession. You own the peak of the market in 1906 or in 1929. Inflation adjusted your capital gains, treaded water up to 1981. You got zero inflation adjusted capital gains for 75 years. I've made a plot showing this. That's peak to trough. Here's another one for you. If you look at the inflation adjusted Dow or S&P, and you look at big secular bear markets, is that inflation adjusted? Uh, that, let's see. Want me to send you a DM mm. with my plot? Yeah. Okay. Am I in Chrome? No, I'm in Firefox. Good. Um, I made this, this, this plot. I hope it'll transfer. This plot is brought to you by, it's a Ron Grice plot. That's just the inflation adjusted S&P. Um, modified with ChemDraw. <laughs> the arrows come from ChemDraw. Then. Now, it's not to say people didn't make money and it went up and down. Now, the funny thing about this plot, you'll also notice is from a secular peak, the secular trough inflation adjusted, the real deep mother, tends to bottom out two peaks back. So look at, look at, um, look at, I think that's 1906. This goes back to 1870. Right. Look at 1906. That's the first big peak in it. See that blue arrow cutting across there? So it's this around one? 270. Oh, no, this one? no, back further. No, no. Back, back. Oh. Go back to 1906. See 19... that arrow? 1906. Go, go 1906 and shoot right up. Isn't this not? I'm looking at. No, you're 1950. This is 1870, so this has to right. be 1900. Yeah, so just oh, a so little like bit right further, here? there's a peak. See oh, that right arrow here. starting at that point? Yeah, yeah. See how inflation adjusted at the end of that arrow, you're exactly the same price? And when is this? This is 82. Wow. 1906 to 1982. By the way, yeah, go to 1929. That's right here. When did you break even for the last time? Not the first time, the last time. 1984. Oh, the first time. You're this last time's the 87. You, you're saying? Yeah, that's a 45 year old arrow. That that's that's treading water for a long time. Look at that 1870. 1870. It troughs out again. Um, for the last time, you could you in theory could almost take it up to 1938. 1870, 1960, 68 years. 
to go nowhere on capital gains inflation adjusted. Now, what's not included? Dividends. But what's also right. not included are a lot of fees that used to be big in the old days, and now they're still big. They're just hidden. Buffett has assured us. I don't know how to do it. He says, you can't imagine all the fees that are buried in your portfolios. What's also not included is um, taxes, capital gains, taxes on your dividends. I would argue that the taxes on your dividends and the, and the tax on your capital gains pretty much just wash out your gains. Yeah, yeah, for sure, or more. And so then the question is, how much money do you really make on the stock market? And you make a ton if you look from trough to peak. But if you look from peak to trough, you spend an entire lifetime going nowhere. Where are we now? Peak or trough? Uh, peak. Now, bring that thing. Take take a look at that thing again. Let's let's assume we're at a peak. It will tend to trough, not the first peak back, right? But let's go to let's go to the 1981. Uh, let's go to the first arrow from 1906 forward. So it tends to trough, not at the first big peak, but at the second big peak, or even the third big peak. So, so the trough is three monstrous peaks back. Go to the next arrow. Doesn't bottom out at the first, at the first trough. It, 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 the, the trough tends to bottom out at least two major peaks back. So the trough in 1981, that's the shortest. That represents zero gains from what is that, 19, uh, what is that, 19, I can't even see my own plot. Um, the 81 trough, no, the, the 2008 trough, um, represented water treading from 1967. Right. Call it 68. What is that? 30 years. That's the shortest of the arrows. Are Where's they getting the shorter over gonna... time? Well, it could be argued that that aggressive monetary policy has has caused some changes. Um cuz it looks like they're getting shorter. I don't shorter. know. There's there's well, they do. Um, here's, I'll send you another plot. I, I've got some, I keep rapid access plots that, that make my day. Here's, here's one for you. Let's go back to my Twitter thing and I'll drag. Here's, here is the Dow from 1900 to 1940, which was a period on the gold standard. Hmm. Boot that up. Yep. I showed this to one of the editors of The Economist, and he shit his pants. He had never really looked at this. All right. So, explain so there's the 1929 bubble. Well, this is the Dow from 1900 to 1940. That is a perfect regression to the mean. 
if you took out the 1929 peak and the 1930s dip and you just took out about 15 or 20 years, that's just a perfect extrapolation. That thing just gradually drifts its way up. One could argue that represents some kind of wealth creation. There's dividends, don't forget. Back then they were bigger. But the, the, the depression was simply, the 90% the, the, the collapse, this shows you that that was just regression of the mean, through the mean and then back up to the mean. That whole thing it, was, that's what a correction, that's what a correction looks like right there. Is it possible that we are in one of these massive uh, peaks again, where we're going to go to this massive low, just to bring it back to the mean? Well, is it, is it, poss is it possible what's going to go forward? I don't know. What I can tell you is the valuation now is worse than 29. Worse than 29. And the debt, yes, worse, worse, worse than 29. And the debt's huge, enormous. We didn't even have debt back then, I don't think. We had, you know what the, the Great Depression was about, I think? It was about consumer debt. There was a lot of collapsing banks, but it was consumer debt. Consumers spent all their money in the roaring 20s buying appliances on time. They, had, they developed credit systems. So they could buy that new electric vacuum cleaner and that new car, that Model T. And, and how do you think FDR handled it? Fascinating question. Um, the right likes to pick on FDR. I have a generous interpretation of FDR. So they like to pick on his New Deal shit, and, you know, turning, turning society into a big welfare state. But if you actually go back and read about what was going on politically at the time, and the FDIC. there's a hot debate. Yeah. There's a hot debate about how you should run an industrialized society, which was a new concept, right? Around 1870, it really started to yep. just take off. And what we found was, is that despite what was profound wealth creation, the capitalists had boned it. We ended up in the Great Depression somehow. So the capitalists were on their heels trying to tell Joe Sixpack, who's walking around with a placard saying, I can speak three languages, have two degrees, and have no jobs, right? Stuff like that. Guys who could not get work, who wanted to work. There was risk here because the Bolsheviks were saying, Things should be run from the top down. Government should be telling us what to do. Woodrow Wilson was really a real problem child on that mark. So I have this theory that FDR was much more of a capitalist than the right liked to give him credit. And that, um, here's Ron Grice's, by the way. I'll give you Ron Grice's chart and, while I have And long-term, perhaps, because a lot of, of societies or countries went into a dictatorship in that time, but the U.S. did not. Mussolini came right. about, Hitler came and about. So, so, so that's right. And they were democracies. So maybe FDR said, if we don't give Joe Sixpack, the forgotten man, to use Amity Schley's term, if we don't give the forgotten man a safety net and a break, we're going to lose. And so he brought in a big win. In the long run. And it, I mean, we paid a saved. price. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. 
So I think criticizing FDR is shallow. It could be he's a douche, right? I mean, I don't know. But, but my interpretation is he might have saved capitalism. He, yeah, it is interesting because, yeah, I mean, he really was the closest thing we ever had to a dictator, which is true. Um, I mean, he served like four terms. He was dying in the end. But uh, he I'm might gonna, have saved it, I'm though. I'm going to send you the... It seems like his intent was good when you look back on it and you see what happened to every other society and everybody else just gave up on their democracy. I'll pull it up. Wait, wait. I'm going to pull up the chart that you sent. Yeah. <laughs> the chart first. We're going to get into that. After. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't uh, know, I'm, I'm throwing curveballs. So that's Ryan Grace's chart, which, which is the S&P in orange and the S&P corrected for the M2 money supply in green. Now there were some big swings because that's a long plot. There were some big swings, but you'd be hard pressed to argue it's trending. So we find it, it is, interesting to see that the real S&P price has never taken out the 1929 high when one adjusts the S&P by the growth of M2 money supply. That's right. Now, why does this work? Well, it works because the average person does not understand inflation enough to realize this. The average person sees that rising orange curve, says, I'm making money. That's true. So we get the inflation. And whoever is on the receiving end of this money, spigot, bankers, guys who can get cheap credit, guys who can leverage up the wazoo, they make the real money. Hmm. The, the traders, the you name it. So then let me ask you this. If you look at M2 money supply right now, it's the sharpest drop and negative than it has been since I believe 19... Danielle Booth uh, is the one who I got this from. I believe 1932 was the last time this happened. So what happens now that M2 money supply... You know, we talk about inflation, we talk about they're going to have to keep on printing, but the M2 money supply, as we speak, has gone negative for right. the first time since like the Great Depression, or it's the lowest it's been since then. So, so what, what do you call it? it? That could be just stagflation. Mm -hmm. It could be a strange new thing that economists haven't been smart enough to see coming, where we actually have inflating prices with decreasing money supply. Right. What is that? Uh, clusterfuck. I don't know. Um, and 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 it's also noise because these guys were talking about, oh, what it'll it do to the markets if A or B or C or D happen. I said, they go, what if? What is it going to do to the market if the market regresses to the mean, fifty percent drop? Let's call it round number fifty. And then through the mean, another 20 or 30. I was at a founder's dinner once, which is a hedge fund manager's dinner. It was about eight people. I was sitting there thinking, you know, I don't remember starting a hedge fund. <laughs> I'm here. I was in a rascal in New York. And there's a friend of mine, David Einhorn, who was not why I was there. It was coincidence. I'm having dinner with him tomorrow evening. That's going to be fun. Um, at my house, Shea Dave's. Um, 
and we chatted and it was clear these guys were really good at what they do but their 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 brains were siloed so some guy was a vol expert vol experts are going to become a dinosaur at some point the fact that we're trading vol shows you how broken the system is vol's garbage vol is not barrels of oil it's not it's not ingots of of steel it's just garbage it's just trading it just shows you that that we financialized every last imaginable thing sure did and so we went around the table and uh talked about what we thought was going on and i'm just sitting there listening because i'm not stepping into this shithole yet you know i i i have I have guts, but I think I better let these guys chat a little bit. And there were owners of sports teams there, right? So this was serious stuff. And we get to Einhorn, who, when you talk to him, it's like deposing him. He's got a new <laughs> girlfriend. It's He's much happier. But uh, that's good. when you talk to him, it's like deposing him. So you say, what about this? He goes, no. <laughs> I go, I was kind of hoping for more than that. Um, and, and, and he said, I think we're going to give back the last two bear markets, the last two bull markets. Now, remember I just said from peak to trough, you go back two peaks? I was thinking about that yeah. the other day. I go, holy shit, that's what David had said. I had forgotten about that. And I had tried to pin him down. What's your definition of a bull market? Back to 1920 or back to 19, 1909, uh, 2009? 2009. Back yeah. to 2020 or 2009? If if right. if 2009 is the last bull market, the first bull market, then that means we're going we're we're going to give back the next one too. We're going to hit the post dot com. That's top. insane. Well, well, what would happen if right now the Schiller PE is over 30? Historically, okay. it's historically it's 10. 10 used to be considered fair value. It was six or seven in 1981. So Schiller PE alone, there's your compounding. Seven to 30, more than four fold. Right. It's a lot of compounding growth in the valuation. Too much? Valuation shouldn't grow. Not net. Valuation is the price divided by something that also inflates. Valuation is, you know, if you've got a PE of 100, it means you're buying a company and you're buying a 1% return unless something changes. It means their cash flow is 1% of your investment, their annual cash flow. So you're buying a 1% return and saying, I hope they grow like NVIDIA because of AI, because of whatever. And and when, when you're buying a company for 10% revenue, tenfold revenue, 10 times revenue, you're pretty much considered insane. NVIDIA's trading for 30 times. You're pretty much insane. Maybe it's 30 times sales, um, which has got to be close to revenues, right? Um, and Scott McNeely went after the bust and Sun Microsystem went totally down the tubes. He said, the investors were buying us for 10 times revenues. What were they thinking? The famous McNeely quote, what were they thinking about buying, buying Sun for, for 10 times revenues? 
Now I'm going to throw out a super curveball here. We don't have, you don't have to you don't have to swing at it, but I'm going to throw it out there. The Dominion voting settlement with Fox News. The the size of the settlement. If you want to say was that a real damage settlement or was there something else there? That settlement was 45 times Dominion's revenues. You could buy the the set the seven hundred million dollar settlement. Yeah, was forty five times Dominion's annual yes. revenues. Yes, I know that. You could buy ten Dominions for that. How do you give a settlement to a company that's worth ten times the total value of the company? There's something deeper going on there. That's uh, right. BlackRock's so, behind so you, both. You don't have to swing at that one. That's why I said you don't have to swing at it. But but I don't think any money's going to change hands. I think Dominion well, got together with Fox and we said, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll settle. We'll we'll figure out the bill later. And you guys get to fire Tucker because we understand and we don't want Tucker ranting about our voting machines. So not in 2024. But in 2016, it's okay. So if you got to deal with Tucker for a 2024 election, Dominion would happily join join arms with the media to take oh, yeah. out Tucker. And that was the argument. He costs them too much money. 45 times revenues of Dominion. I, I, I can't believe they, I can't believe they paid that. It just seems like there's something bigger. Well, there's than... no money's transferred hands yet. By the way, a related story, you know, when the banks all settled in, oh, 809 because of that i just picked this up off a book somewhere i can't remember where but um apparently behind closed doors the authority said here's the deal if you contribute say you've been charged with two billion dollars if you contribute i don't know 200 million to these various dnc packs we'll forget about the bill I don't know if it's true, but it sounds true. It wouldn't surprise me. Not a bit. So <laughs> supposedly, and then they're tax deductible. So the, the banks didn't even get, it was peanuts. It was, and, and two billion was peanuts. So there's a paper written by an economist. I think it was at Berkeley. I can't remember his name. Thaler, maybe. Um, could, no, I don't think it's Thaler. I sent him an email. We had a chat. Um, you wrote a paper in 96 that described how the banks make their money on the way up and on the way down. So you described the, all the profits they make on the way up and then all the bailout money they get on the way down. I sent him an email, said, your paper's making the rounds again. He said, yeah, isn't it amazing? <laughs> he said, just when I think it's going to go into obscurity, something bad happens and off, off we go again. So what do you think about, because you mentioned Dominion and DeSantis, uh, announced yesterday. What do you, what do you think is going to happen in 2024? Do you think DeSantis, first of all, who do you think would win the Republican primary? Do you think DeSantis is a bigger threat to Trump than people believe? Do you think that the Democrats pretty much have it locked up? I mean, how do you, what do you see happening between now and 2024? Well, um, I was a big fan of Ron Paul. I was thanks to Lou Rockwell was on Ron Paul's homepage as an endorser in his 08 election. That was cool. 
I watched Ron Paul do well in primaries, and even Fox News would not mention his name. It was really noticeable. They, there'd be three people in the primary. Paul would be second. I went to a rally of his. It was filled with young people howling their asses off. And um, they'd go, you know, so-and-so won the primary. But it was a pretty good showing by, and then they'd mention the third-place guy. They'd go right past Ron Paul. But you can't They're do gonna... that now. Now they don't have that control of the information. It, it, it's different. You can't get away with just pretending like, like RFK is not there or pretending, you know. You uh, mean you can't pretend like the vaccine works? You can't pretend like the lockdowns were for good? You can't, right? We got that, it at the ass for the last three years. Well, that but, was lying. They told you the opposite on the right, airwaves. Right. Well, why I would they not tell you the opposite? Because the difference between even three years ago and now, there's a large enough alternative media that has been created, this new ecosystem where I don't think the mainstream media has nearly the power that it had over information before, where I think that people go to them second. I think the narrative is, is very, we're in the transition of the narrative being set from the bottom up instead of the top down. And so they're going to have to react to the alternative media. And so if RFK is making the rounds, you can't just pretend like he's not a part of it. And I'm not so saying imagine that. imagine you live in Iraq and you have all figured out that Saddam is not a good guy. So what? Uh, Are we in a world that is formerly known as the United States of America, where things like this used to matter. Hunter Biden's laptop is filled with shit that could get our president thrown out of office and into prison in a heartbeat. Could in be a treason. heartbeat. Could be treason. Treason, absolutely. He could be hugged from the neck until dead. Will that happen? No. He's the nominee. He's demented. We've got companies sandbagging their own products. That's why By using gender bigger. benders pitchmen. That's right. So the point being is that this idea that we know now oh. means nothing. Oh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. We all know. Who out there doesn't know that they lied their asses off about the vaccine? But and and at the same time, why are things that we already know that they don't have to report on starting to come out, like the Wall Street Journal talking about Jeffrey Epstein blackmailing Bill Gates over the affair? Why is that stuff coming out now? I don't know. But does it matter? I, it makes me think the, that there are Put up are the Jeffrey Epstein factions. picture I said to you. You brought up Epstein. I subliminally planned it. Put up the picture of the two profiles. This is, this is the funniest conspiracy theory in history. This is numero uno, the funniest conspiracy theory in history. This one? First put up that one. Okay. The profile on the left is Jeffrey Epstein on the gurney, the, one of the two official photos of him being taken out of prison dead. Now, see the circle? People focus on his ear and saying, that's not his ear, dude. That's Jeffrey Epstein on the right. But more telling is, look at the friggin' nose. That ain't the same guy. He's not even close. So you go, okay, okay, okay. Epstein's not dead, which is fine. He had so much dirt on people. Maybe he's just he had... in the left picture. No, no, he's no, just... no. It's a fundamental nose shape. <laughs> Your nose so, slouches when you get older. Jeffrey Epstein had so much dirt 
if he didn't, he was so tied to intelligence, if he didn't have a kill switch, which is when you say, if mm -hmm. I die, it's all getting released. I got 20 lawyers ready to kick this shit out into the world. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Now, now you got to bring up the next one that I sent okay. you. Give me a second. I don't know if you can bring them up in parallel. I can't. You, it doesn't matter. They can kind of remember. What is this? I wrote Hillary. about this. Don't say it. Don't say it. Keep your audience. Keep your audience in, in question. So the guy here died about two weeks before Jeffrey Epstein supposedly died. And you look at him and you go, that could be the guy in the gurney. There were no statements of why he died or how he died. There's a couple articles, nothing said. That's Hillary's brother. And I'm thinking some CIA guy's got the funniest goddamn sense of humor on the planet. That's what Hillary's if the brother? guy in the gurney's Hillary's brother? Oh my God, I just wet myself again. I just wet myself again. That's so funny. I don't care if it's a 1% probability. I don't care if it's a 0%. That is funny. <laughs> Hillary's brother. It's, I mean, it. every day that goes by seems more and more like a simulation. I wouldn't be surprised. But that, We're monkey brains in a belly. We're an MK Ultra. We don't even know it. MKUltra, like I thought was bullshit. Here's my current theory. I presented this to a crowd of 500 people. Um, so MKUltra is where the CIA did all sorts of mind-bending LSD experiments and various drugs, to, and their super goal. That's where the Unabomber came from, I believe. That's where the Unabomber came from. Their super goal. So a guy wrote about Manson. I first got into it. I'd been hearing about it, but I go, I, okay, so they fucked up Kaczynski pretty good. That doesn't shock me. Um, that was a failure. Maybe not. Um, so then I'm reading a book about Charles Manson called Chaos. And I thought I was nuts to read it, but I had several credible people say, no, you got to read this. So I read it. And it's a guy who went to write a puff piece on the Manson murders on an anniversary. And he started running into shit that didn't make sense. Over the next 20 years... He does a very credible job of connecting Charles Manson murders with CIA operatives working out of the Haight-Ashbury district oh because of the acid oh stuff. And he connects him up with a guy named Jolly West, who's a MK Ultra top dog, who was well known in the Boston wing of MK Ultra. And MK Ultra was a secret CIA operation in which we literally not only brought German Nazi rocket scientists back home. We brought the German doctors back home. That's how fucked up we are. Operation Paperclip. Yeah, yeah. And so, 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 so there, there he is. There's Jolly West. It's like, holy shit, that is finding the. That's that's the smoking gun. So where does Jolly West show up elsewhere in history? Well, he said in the book, he says, I then connected Jolly West up in a way that I had no desire whatsoever to connect him and that is it turns out he inserted himself into jack ruby's trial oh my god and supposedly jack ruby when he first got arrested he didn't know he had killed oswald so the mk ultra holy grail is admitted by mk ultra guys because there was this big above the fold scandal for about a year 
and the, the church commission dug into this big, which is why I was just clueless, not realizing it was very real and very bad. There's a book called Poisoner in Chief, which goes into it. In any event, um, Jolly West inserts himself into Timothy McVeigh's trial. Jolly West is found in a lot of places that Jolly West should not be. Now, Timothy McVeigh, I just watched the documentary. You watch, you, you're done with it. You're going, holy shit. This was a psyop. The whole thing. Timothy McVeigh. <laughs> yeah. And so I stood up in front of an audience. I was asked at a finance investment conference to be on a panel discussion. With 10 minutes notice, they said, give me a conspiracy theory. Give the crowd a conspiracy theory without defending it. Let them ask questions. So one guy said they're rigging the price of gold. Oh, yeah, we don't know that. Um, someone else made some other statements. And I said, I start out by saying, uh, little gremlins come out of my phone at night and molest me. Um, that actually was kind of stolen from a book about the guy who helped build the Oxford Dictionary, who was batshit crazy. Um, and then I said, no, 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 liberals have taken over academia. I go, no, that's no good either. And then I go, uh, and then I go, Many, if not most, of the mass shootings are state-sponsored. I worry about and that, that. That got the audience, and they started peppering me. I, I think the data is actually pretty good. And I, I worry it's going to increase because and so then now, here's what happened. Yeah, they want to take the guns. So here's what happened in the church commission. They laid out MKUltra, which was super top secret. Supposedly, when you walked across Fort Detrick, which became Camp Detrick, was Camp Detrick became Fort, I can't remember, one way or the other. But in any event, apparently when you walked across the ground, you could hear guys screaming. They put a guy on oh acid 24-7 for six months. What does that do to the human mind, right? So their, their holy grail was to create an assassin who would do anything they were told to do and not even know why they did it or even that they did it. Oh my now, God. when the church commission was done, they said, well, we never succeeded and we've closed it up. And I go, what if they're lying over two on that? One? What if it did work? What if Ted Kaczynski was not a failure of MKUltra, but rather the experiment playing out? What if Ted was doing what he was told to do? What if, uh, you know, those two guys at the Boston Marathon bombing? Yep. There's a lot of weird shit there. And you, you know what the weirdest shit there? There's what? an interview right after the Boston Marathon bombing, right on the scene of a famous Harvard Medical School professor about the, about the bombing named Lena Wen. Oh, that's funny. Wasn't she the spokesperson for the COVID vaccine? Yeah, CNN. She's the, isn't that, I was just going to yeah, say, isn't she yeah. the doctor? She's so the masking. So here's what I did. I dug into Lena. Lena has family that has ties back to China. Oh, God. But she's Chinese descent, so you go, okay. Yeah, she is, yeah. But then I went and I, I actually dug up her resume. And being in academia, I could actually look up her papers. Lena Wen had a resume filled with papers that, in my opinion, even though I'm not a doc, were just garbage. They were in elite journals. They were just garbage. It's like the layout of the ER room in some hospital. 
talking about it. And I'm going, this is what Harvard professors do now? And the message was they created a resume for Lena. Um, wait, wait, you, you really? Is that what you think's true? Because she is, she was a part yeah, of the her whole... resume. Her resume is a bunch of a bunch of papers in elite medical journals that, in which the content of the articles is sub minimum standard. So they've like basically Harvard doesn't every, hire idiots normally. Every part of society. Well, I mean, now it doesn't. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein had ties to Harvard. I mean, MIT, all of it. Oh, all it. of it. Yes, Harvard. I think was the center of intelligence operations. So I think the entire Harvard psychology department was funded by the CIA. Is everyone who lied you, the past you, three if, years a part of the system? Is that what's going on here? And they just have like half well, the population from it? Well, let me bounce a name off you. Let me bounce a funniest name off you. One of the guys involved in, in MKUltra, the guy running the whole thing, you're going to love this name. And I've tried to make the connection and I, I haven't been able to. His name is Sidney Gottlieb. Where's that name? Gottlieb. Why is that a familiar Did name? You? Oh, right. He's the Pfizer slash FDA guy. No, oh, Pfizer yeah. FDA spokesperson for the vaccine. Is that his grandson? Well, it, hmm. I don't okay, know. Well, I haven't been able to make the connection. Have you ever read the book? Kind of name. Uh, so if his name the, is Smith. There's a book, Titan, about the Rockefellers, or about John D. Rockefeller in particular. And John D. Rockefeller. Yeah, he's in, a sweetheart. In the early 1900s. Uh, basically had a monopoly that got, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, you know, knocked it apart and he wanted to get into, uh, basically, basically what he did was he took over medical schools and science and got really into vaccines and stuff like that. And there's a paper, well, there's two parts of the story. There's a paper by, uh, was it his, okay. When he got into this, this, he wanted to like take over medical schools, get into vaccines, all this stuff, science. Right. And the, the guy he put in charge of it, his last name, and I've looked up the connection online. Is he related to the, the guy who you think I'm going to say? His last name is Gates. It's Frederick T. Gates. Okay, is his name. He was the guy that was Rockefeller's appointee that created this huge philanthropic foundation that is exactly mirrored to the Bill and Melinda. Is that his Gates. father? Is that his father? Is that well, Bill's if you father? look up his Bill Gates related to Frederick T. Gates, Bill Seniors, Bill Gates, they'll Senior, say right? no. But so you look up Bill William Senior or Bill's, you know, who was the head of Planned Parenthood by the way. And is he related to Frederick T. Gates? And then you, you have to like, look to see if there's a, so there seems to be, there's a guy named Frederick T. Gates who was tied to Rockefeller, who created exactly what the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation is, even to a bigger degree, took over, got all, got medicine out, alternative medicine that we think of now used to be taught in medical school. So the two biggest big medical, the two biggest medical foundations are created by the Gates. It just, what are the chances of that? That's impossible. But if you look at online, PolitiFact, PolitiFact will say they're not related. But come well, to the that's exact what, same by, thing. By the way, general rule of thumb: first of all, the PolitiFacts are lying nonstop. Yeah. When they get one that's easy and they're correct, that's fine. But they will lie. They're they're paid to lie. Snopes is paid to lie. Snopes is putting out so much content. You go, that's not a husband wife team right there. Um, so. My general rule of thumb is the more fact checking you find, the more likely the story is true. Well, here's the other one. In 1918, what happened? There was a Spanish flu. It was a pandemic. Right. right. Guess who wrote? There was at at the um, not Fort Detrick, but at a uh, at a uh, a military base. 
there was a doctor who wrote a white paper on this that is on the NIH website. I can send it to you afterwards who, uh, about um, how they're going to inject people uh, with these. I don't know if they called it vaccines or something to create this like new influenza, see how it spreads and all this stuff. And that's what they believe. I haven't heard this story at all. I've heard this uh, and story at all. I, I, the white paper still on the NIH website, which I have saved. I, I could pull it up. If you could send it to me, that would be great. And the author of this paper is Frederick T. Gates's son, who's a doctor. <laughs> who... <laughs> I mean, uh, so Bill Gates, Bill who... Gates Sr. was a eugenicist, supposedly. That's supposedly yeah. his public record. But this might all, but the pandemic of 1918 might have also have been started by a Gates and potentially was intentional. Basically the same thing that just happened. Where's that? Kansas, Missouri? One of those two states. I can't remember which one. Um, a great book, by the way, is uh, The Great Influenza by Steve Barry. I, here's the funny thing. So I read Barry's book in 05. I found a post-it with, with 2000, his, the name of his book in 05 written that said by or something. And um, it's a great book. It talks about germ theory medicine. It's really very informative. And I think it's an audio book. I think it's an audio book if you do those. Um, in his book, he talks about how masks don't do anything and all, all the stuff that we've learned. I knew that. When the pandemic started, I said, there's 30 clinical trials on flu. Masks do nothing. Why are they making us mask up? That sort of thing. If you really want to know that they didn't care about masks, all you have to do is recognize that for a year and a half, they didn't care what mask. If they cared about health, they would have said, oh, by the way, Mr. Bandana, that's not going to work. But they didn't care. They just cared Everything that was you the exact opposite. It was not about... It was efficacy. It was not efficacy. It was compliance. Frederick. No, they Taylor, care. Send they care send to tell you to the me. exact opposite. The exact. Yeah, I know. The exact I opposite. Know. But Frederick that's, Frederick that's, T. Gates played an essential. It's all. It's unbelievable. It's. I'll send it to you afterwards. But it's all in the book Titan. And when they said that his head, who who the richest man in the world, wanted to take over science, and the guy he appointed, his last name was Gates, I almost shit myself. And I just did all this research. And they make it very, they've put enough propaganda out to make sure that anything you find says Frederick T. Gates absolutely doesn't have any connection, which means they know you're searching for it. You should, you should, you should reach out to Whitney Webb and ask her what she knows because she, she's encyclopedic. And she's, yeah, she's also, good. you know, some people criticize her for missing the big picture. And I go, you guys are missing the point. She's one of the great jigsaw puzzler assemblers of all time. Oh yeah. She puts the pieces together. The picture will emerge with if people are putting the pieces together. She puts the pieces together. She's phenomenal. Her book is great. Yeah, I'm in the middle of it. I'm at the start of it right now. I, um, I do audiobooks, so I listen to the first one. The second uh, one's not out yet. So, so I haven't yeah, listened to it. I know. I waited for the first. I, I'm going yeah. I'm not reading that book. Because Whitney Whitney digs into the details such that it's got to be audio. It's got to be audio because I, they're I, all connected. I, the, the Pritzker family, everybody in power is connected in some way to the corruption the that has happened. The, oh, I know. It's just, all of them. Truly, you seen that every picture family. of the famous, famous thugs with Fauci in it with, with the Bronfman's and the, and the, the CEO, of various news agency ales and all these guys in one picture. Yep. It's just, and, it's and, amazing. And, and, and what about the same people behind Jeffrey Epstein are behind who? Jamie Dimon, the most powerful central banker in the world. 
So here's the mystery. So Whitney, I watched her on a podcast the other day. She said, you're dreaming if you think that you're going to elect someone that's going to solve this problem. You're yeah, dreaming. She's right. This is so much deeper. She says, it's got to come from us, sir. It's got to come from within. A, so at the end revolution. of the podcast, people often say, what's your message? What's your message? Well, revolutions usually end up poorly. Right? Name a revolution with the exception of the U.S. American, uh, American Revolution. Yeah, right. But but with right. the exception of that one, they usually go, yeah. That, that. Long run, historians will always say that it was an important step, but but the bloodbath, you know, the 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 Ed, Edmund Burke warned, you know, be careful, this thing's going to get murderous, and he was dead right about the French Revolution. So um, so I, to, the idea of a revolution, if you somehow think that you're not going to tip over the entire game board and really cause, you know, pain and suffering and starvation, and that somehow there will be benefactors, you will be dead when they're benefiting. There will be people who are benefiting, but you will be dead when they're benefiting. So it's interesting. I was listening yesterday. There's a book, The the Creature from Jekyll Island, uh, about the fact. Oh, I read it. Yeah, that one I had to read. Yeah. So he was on. I have uh, 800 position. I'm still yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, He was on uh, Danielle Camboni. Uh, uh, yeah, I, saw, Sans- I didn't watch it, but I saw it. Well, he, there was two parts, and yesterday was the other one. And. Uh, he said something interesting because I, I keep wondering, like, when are people going to wake up? How do people not see this? And I know so many people who don't. And he says that the major revolutions that have happened in the past is that the there's 1% of the people that spoke out and saw it and became active. And then they got a 2% of the people that started influencing and taking action and then that ultimately led to only up to maximum of 15%. Basically, every revolution that's ever happened was 15% of the people. But it all started with 1%. It, it really start. It was 1%. The Malcolm Gladwell, those are the routers or something. I can't remember what he calls them. But, uh, but um, so we talked about The True Believer. What yeah. a phenomenal book, right? What a, what a phenomenal book The True Believer was. And 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 it's short. And if you haven't read it, you sh- those listening, you should read it because it, it just explains how the ideas take hold. And 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 then in Matthias Desmond's book, The Psychology of Totalitarianism, he talks. The, the take home lesson for me was is that it's not evil guys at the top who take over. It's ideology that takes over. And, and the ideology takes, and it's self, and it, and it, and it takes over the masses, and they sign off on shit that they wouldn't have signed off on, and it takes over the guys at the top, and they delude themselves into thinking they're doing good, and and somehow, so it's this gigantic mass delusion, and it, it's my doctor Zoom group that's had all these anti-COVID, anti-vaccine doctors go through, including Kennedy and guys like that. Um, there's an NSA guy there. He's on Twitter. I don't want to mention him by name because I don't know how much he wants to be public. Um, and I, we're talking about them. I'll call him Stephen. I said, Stephen, um, who's the them? I'm, I'm still groping on this particular discussion we're having. Who's the them? He said, I, I don't like... This guy was filled with wisdom. He said, I don't like to name names. 
Because if I name a name, well, it's hypothetically Bill Gates, you get to say, well, now we understand he's the problem. What's for dinner, right? And 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 it, it gets you to stop thinking. And so he said, I like to think of it as a self-assembling oligarchy, which there's all these people of interest that are aligned. And and they don't know each other or or they don't they know each other through a neural network, but not, you know, it's not one big club sitting around a table deciding what to do next. But they all they're all benefiting and they all know that they're at the top of the pyramid. They don't know who's at the tippy top. They you know, Gates is not the top of the pyramid. No, I'm I'm confident of that. As someone said once, the uh, the guys really running the world may not have Wikipedia pages. Um, you'll never know. You'll never know. And design. And and this has always been true, except for the fact that even in ancient Rome, right? They knocked off 50 emperors in 50 years, right? Those guys obviously weren't kings of the world. And, and so this has always been this way. The risk is, is that those of us in the United States for the last 250 years, We've had it pretty good. The best. And the the risk is that that we lose that. And we are teaching kids ideas that really are throwing out what de Tocqueville loved about America in the 18th century. And Europe was watching us very carefully going, oh, my God, these Americans, they are really doing some weird stuff. This is not the world we pictured. You know, and they couldn't believe that Washington actually took power for eight years and then gave it back and stuff like that. Didn't pass it to his son, whatever. Now we do again, right? Pass it through <laughs> the Clintons and the, the Bushes. And so we're back there. Um, and the state of California is really bad at that. I'm oh, yeah. Told. Um, it's a one-party state. So, so then the question is, my brother and I talk about this all the time, should we just stop watching? At the end of podcast, I was about to say, people say, well, what's your message? What is your message? And I, uh, I've taken to say, um, speak up. Speak up. And, and I understand why people don't speak up in certain settings, but whenever you can, speak up. And my wife, I got canceled once. And it was... Um, it was for no good reason. And they were actually gunning for me because I beat a labor union twice. And, uh, but I got my ass kicked pretty good. It was during the George Floyd riot. So I don't know if people are going to show up in my house. I slept with a shotgun and they tried to get me fired and everything else under the sun. Um, so I do know what it's like to be under the gun. But I, my wife was upset about it. And I said, Candace, what I tweeted that got me canceled was totally innocuous. There was actually nothing offensive in it. Somehow that tweet got started the avalanche, and I don't know why. Because I tweet shit that shouldn't be tweeted. That that was not one of them. And um, that you do. And I said, but if a tenured professor who could retire any day he wanted at this point, and I do know how to do the math on retirement, so I'm not. I would, I could retire any day I wanted. Um, who had, 
if you saw my resume, it's not that I'm a superstar, but I have ties to Cornell that are so goddamn strong that, that it, it would be horrifying for them to try to fire me. And it, beyond just, you know, old tenured guy. And um, I said, if I can't speak up, who can? And and a recent articulation of that idea came from um, Bhattacharya, Stanford Bhattacharya. What's his first name? Bhattacharya. Jay had him on the podcast. Jay Bhattacharya. Jay Bhattacharya. He's, he's the most humble guy. He's the sweetheart. But he had this, he was deep, deep, deep dark because he was fighting a real global battle. Oh, yeah. And and I'm sure he said it to you. He said he, he realized that what good is his career if he doesn't do something important with it? And that's essentially the same argument. This was the true if, test, I feel like. And, and you mentioned Matthias Desmet. He said the only way you prevent something like Germany and, you know, this mass formation psychosis, all this stuff is to speak out. That's the one thing they didn't do. And if you have to continue speaking out, that's how you could put a stop to this craziness. Well, that's the famous Niemöller quote, too, about how they came for the Jews. And I didn't say anything because I was right. a Jew. And then they came for this. And then at the end, they came for me. And there was no one left to protect me. Um, and that's what always happens. That's what always happens. And they they cancel culture, by the way, was not some cockeyed idea invented by stupid youth. That was AstroTurf from head to toe. Oh, yeah. That was a 100%. that was created from by a system. That was created by a system to shut down free speech. So now when you go to say something, even though cancel culture seems to have gone sort of out of favor, you're going, but what if they come after me? And there's a, there's I, I've a, always... There's a picture on, on Twitter I just saw today that explains exactly what you just said, which is it showed 2008, 2009, or maybe a little bit after, uh, people protesting, you know, uh, don't bail out Wall Street, give the money to the people, like like the protests, you know, against uh, against Wall Street. And then it showed a picture in 2018 of this pride parade and the truck that they were, the platform they were standing on, sponsored by J.P. Morgan. Right. And that gets back to this idea of corporate. So I, I finished um, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's book, Woke Incorporated. He is saying all the right things, but there's something too perfect about him. What do you mean? He looks he looks to me like he's politics analog of a boy band as to music. He looks like he was created to run. Really? There's something yeah. He's very articulate, very smart, but it doesn't seem like he's a controlled opposition type person to me, personally. Well, he's saying all the right things for the right while at the same time potentially getting the whole MAGA story to burn down, right? So I, I did, there's just something about him that makes me nervous. He came out of nowhere. Um, biotech Whitney, Whitney made, yeah, I mean, he. it's not like he came out of an orphanage, but but Whitney said, you know, these guys emerged from, from nowhere and all of a sudden they kind of have these leadership. You know, Christia Freeland, former Ukrainian Nazi, now she's second in command of Canada and in line to become the secretary general of NATO. Yep, that's right. Whoa, Christia, that's pretty good for a granddaughter of a Nazi who also ran around Ukraine doing doing propaganda. 
right beside Nina Jankowitz, who also ran around Ukraine doing propaganda. Who's also suing Fox News right now. Right. So now, and, and that woman who sued Trump for something, I've never quite figured out what it was. Um, they found he was not guilty, but sued him for defamation, declaring he was not guilty and she was a liar. E.J. Carroll or whatever, E.G. Carroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still haven't figured out what she proved. And that, that she was sexually assaulted. Well, uh, they didn't prove that. They didn't prove rape. That's what they didn't prove. I, yeah, you I, can't. They I, didn't, sexually abused or something. Well, in a court of law, did he did he get convicted in a court of law? Well, no. no, you're not guilty. It wasn't a, it wasn't civil or it was civil. Which one? It was, it, it was, civil. it was not, a, it was not the court where you're it was guilty. It in the civil case. Yeah. So you're just, you're not guilty. It's not innocent or guilty. It's just, you got to pay the defamation, uh, a million dollars or something like that. And now she's going to well, sue him so, again for CNN, for what he said on CNN about her. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It seems fishy. Great, I'm not going to lie. She, well, she's going to get paid. She's going to well, get she's backed by Reed Hoffman, who's a mega donor behind uh the democrats i mean he's a interesting character he's bankrolling what was their name blasio ford who went after kavanaugh you know that was mm -hmm. a total farce I, I i don't see how you believe anybody about anything now that's a problem it, and with the deep fakes and stuff i don't even see how you believe what you're seeing with your own lying eyes so then what do you think about just two days ago? And because this came out, I did a podcast last March about the WEF ran a cyber attack uh, simulation. They love simulations. They wrote a cyber attack simulation that such shuts down like, you know, the globe, the internet, all this stuff. And then at the WEF at one of their panels, they read 89% of experts predict a catastrophic cyber attack in the next two years, which is incredibly profound. And then yesterday or two days ago, uh, 50 or maybe a hundred senators were given satellite phones in case there's a quote, disturbing, disturbing event or disturbance event. Do you think something else? And then you have also in the EU, them asking to test this new pandemic treaty that should be solidified next year by the WHO where people give away their sovereignty. We need to test that out before next year. Is something else on the horizon? Are they going to keep going? Is there an end game here? Um, I think a lot of that's white noise. When bad guys are about to do bad things, I'm not sure they tell you. I, I, get I think the they do, though. That, that's the thing. I, they, I think, well, a, that could be the garishness. It's but like they have the to w, tell you. What, the WF says you're going to eat bugs. You're, you're not going to own yep. anything. You're going to be happy. They, 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 they make all these preposterous statements that if they'd run it past the focus group, say, well, you know, they're not going to be that happy about that shit, you know, you're saying. And uh, you got Yuval Harari up there saying shit that obviously is indigestibly. By the way, his Humans books are suck. hackable let's animals. Get, let's get down to it. You can. I read Homo Deus. I read Sapiens. They weren't that good. I love that kind of shit. They weren't that good. I, I the found them love to be. It. Oh yeah. Well, Best no. Book ever. The, I I try. Yeah, I know. I tried to uh, I tried to get my way through one of Klaus Schwab's books and it was farcically bad. And, and so then the question is, is Klaus, Klaus is just a front man. Of course. I, I, I don't know who's doing it, but I, I imagine if we're onion layer five, they're at onion layer 57.
I mean, who runs the world? Who runs the banking? I think it comes back to a few families. Like there's these cycles of 500 years, every 500 years, the global like monetary system is usually owned by a family or a group of families. And it switches every 500 years. Like the Italian family was 500 years ago. Then it became yeah, the, the Rothschilds. Yeah. And then the Rothschilds. And now it's mixed it with the Rockefellers and some other. Well, that 500 year deadline is right now. So is it? Is it well, is so it, the question is, it, is, does the old money really dissipate? I read Neil Ferguson's book on the Rothschilds. Yeah. As soon as you mentioned the Rothschilds, you get called anti-Semitic. Look, they ran a banking dynasty. We got to be able to talk about them. I mean, I, I'm, I don't give, I'm I don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't give a shit what church you went to. I don't give a shit what your genetics are. <laughs> what I can tell you is, if there's a group that's the smartest group in the world, it's the Jews. So I, I take my hat off to you guys for being brilliant on average well, statistics. Someone's got to own everything. Yeah. Right. And so then the question is. Ferguson's book describes a Rothschild dynasty that dissipated. I said that to Dellingpole and he said, oh, no, it didn't. And then he started dragging me down. The Jews are doing it story. And I'm going, no, 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 no. T.O., you're not dragging me into this storyline at all. The Bank of England is a Rothschild bank. But I don't know what that even means. The Rothschild is now a financial entity. I think at one point the Rothschilds were a bunch of Jewish guys hanging around doing banking. But, I think that I, they I have, I think they're the central banks of the West. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. Rothschild is just a name. I don't know what it actually is. Oh, like Lord Rothschild, that's that's the oldest well, I don't know. Are there Rothschilds sitting around talking about their great-great-great-grandfather or is it dissipated? Is it J.P. Morgan in disguise? You know, I, 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 I don't know. So, um, so what if the Medici money didn't dissipate? What if that's still there? So one time I'm talking to an anti-vaxxer. He is, I won't name him, but this will tell some people who he is. Probably the expert on the organ damaging effects of remdesivir, Fauci's favorite drug. Yep. And I spoke to him for a long time and he finally said to me, it's amazing how you have a long conversation and say shit and you forget you're talking. And he said, you want to know who I think China is really a battle with? I go, yeah, sure. He said, the Catholic Church. Hmm. And he didn't explain it to me, but I started thinking about it. I go, okay, so the Catholic Church has been around for 2,000 years. That's a lot of compounding. If you look outside the window of this building, you can see several Catholic churches. They've got dioceses all over the planet. They've accrued vast, vast wealth in terms of, you know, priceless paintings and you name it. Heaven only knows what's in that Vatican. Oh, yeah. And they have like a secret fund as well. And then the question is, could the Catholic Church, the financial entity, not the religion, own 30% of the world? Sure. I think they're very, I think they're powerful. I don't think they're the most powerful, but they're, the Vatican's up there for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, but the Vatican may be sort of an understatement because it makes this little postage stamp size thing seem important. But if they own 30% of the world, who's ever calling the shots from in there is uh, is a player. And, I, and you, I, I can't I can't rule it out. I can't rule it out. And you know who's a player based on how they reacted the last three years and if they really wanted you to get injected and they really wanted you to lot like... 
like when people say, oh, you know, if Jesus was here, Jesus, you know, would love Pfizer. You know, like people would come out and say Did that Did you stuff. see that Ophelia's compilation? Did you see that one? Yeah, yeah. Name? It got uh, it got demonetized and it was all it was all reported. It was all clips from mainstream media saying you're not safe until it everybody's safe. Brilliant. Compilation does great stuff. And it got brilliant. censored. It got censored. Well, it's it's out but there it, and it's not going away because everyone saved it. But it was just clips of CNN and MSNBC, even Fox, all of them. But it showed the vileness. It's unbelievable. Of the vaccine COVID campaign. It was Sick. absolutely, I think one of the times I posted it, I said, take your pulse, watch this video, and then take mute your that. pulse again. Can you mute that? No, sorry, it's my brother. Um, it was phenomenal, phenomenally oh, yeah. well done, because you wanted to you you were just seething with hatred at the end of the goddamn thing, because it showed all the very prominent people talking about how you're lower than pond scum and a vile person and deserve to die for not taking the vaccine and how the vaccine was guaranteed to help everything and then they it just it just ate the whole story up. Even Noam Chomsky said it. Said the unvaccinated should, you know, have to go and, find their own and food. And Arnold Schwarzenegger said, fuck your freedoms. I remember when he did that. Screw I quoted your freedom. One of my right, screw your freedoms. I, I quoted him in one of my write-ups. I found that to be truly appalling, that he could formulate that sentence. Screw your freedoms. Well, he has ties to Nazis as well. His father was a literal Nazi, wasn't he? Well, he, he, I don't know, but he's Austrian, so I don't know. I mean, not, um, I just don't understand how people can trust any of these people ever again when they say anything. It seems like people are going on trusting them on certain issues. Like, it's just like it never happened. It's unbelievable. I know. It's called the Gelman amnesia effect. I posted a tweet on it this morning. Um, it's the effect where you watch some station like CNN. And you know, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit. You realize they're just full of crap. They don't know what they're talking about. And then all of a sudden they come out and they tell you something you like and you completely forget that they're not trustworthy. Oh my you God. And you suck it right down. What percent so of the population? So I, I, like I think this morning I said they lied about the laptop and about they've lied us into every war. And I, I listed a whole bunch of the COVID vaccine, you name it. And I said, but I'm sure they didn't lie about the $150 trillion climate story. Well, I was going to say the one thing they didn't lie or one thing that hasn't proven to be a lie out of all these things that I've observed of the, over the past few years, there's one thing that hasn't proven to be a lie. And it makes me skeptical of it since everything else was a lie, which was the 2020 election. <laughs> that was the, that's the only thing. So I, I think it was a lie. No, I think it was a lie. So everything's been a lie except that. That's the only thing that hasn't been proven. It makes me just skeptical. Well, but they've made it a, how do you, how do you prove it? How do you prove it? I don't know. It's the well, only 61 thing that... cases got taken to court. 61 cases were stopped short of evidentiary status. The court, the case has never been looked at. By the way, here's my argument for why the 2020 election was rigged. And when I say rigged, I don't mean biased. I get that. And it well, was biased at a, at a profound level. Right. The laptop was Russian disinformation. That was a lie. Right. Right. That no, was no. meddling. So it was biased. But that's not rigging an election. That is being authoritarian. 
but it's not rigging an election. That's not election rigging interference? Election is, um, it's interference, but to me, rigging ultimately comes down to the vote count okay. was not what we were told. Okay, so that's ballots. And the people's votes were not. And there's always around the fringe rigging. There's always. It's always. There's always mistakes. There's always crap. Here's how I know they rigged the election. I can give you specific things that troubled me, but how I know. Look at what they did to keep Trump out of office. Everything imaginable. Everything imaginable. <laughs> Is there any chance that these guys said, oh, but we can't rig the election? Would you bet a would you bet anything on that? Since no. literally everything has been a lie except that, I'm obviously deeply skeptical. And then to well, see... No, no, no. But uh, let me ask you this. Do you believe that they would leave the election alone? Is there any no, chance but I, of but that? I, but I can't say that it was... I also can't say with full confidence that it was rigged because I, I, I need that proof. Even if you can't prove it, that You're that never going to get it. Right, but so yeah. this is this is the part that makes it really sketchy, which is no, but you're never but you're never gonna get you're never I, gonna get something that exonerates sure, it. Sure, sure. But here's the thing that makes me lean towards that it was is that one hundred percent of the other things they've said was true was a lie. One hundred percent of it. And they're pretty outlandish right. things. Okay. Right. Not only that, the policies and things that have happened to this country in the last since Biden took office, two or three years. Have it seems like everything that's happening, and this is just unbiased. I have no ties to either party. I hate both parties. It is. It seems like the decisions are being made to hurt and bring down the United States of America. Whether it every is every step of the way, millions every of people. Every step of the It's way. like intentional, and then and then decisions are made to literally uh, spark outrage amongst the people, like. For example, you have two people in prison in Russia. One's like a Marine. It's been there forever falsely. And then a, uh, a gay, lesbian, uh, you know, LGBTQ plus person, they bring her back, but not, it's like, they're, it, I feel, and they're tying everything to, to gender and everything to race. It's just like, let's just go off merit. You know, well, there's like, a funny, there's a funny gender story there. There is a debate about whether Griner is a uh, I've seen that. It's interesting. Now, I dug into it a little. Oh boy! I just said, "Oh, this is fun. This is too. This is too good to pass." And it turns out that debate was going on back in 2015, 13, 13, which is a rookie. And Al Magazine wrote an article about her about that. And it, they waxed philosophically about the meaning of gender and stuff like that. But they got the other guy. They didn't actually tell me whether she was transgender. It was a very funny article. And then what triggered it was something that could very easily be a deep fake of her shooting baskets without a shirt on. By the pool. By the pool. That just happened. I know I saw that. It I know. It I was know. weird. I know. I know. So then, but it would easily be dismissed. Easily. Because someone's seen her naked, right? Someone's seen her naked. Her wife. Unless she's been surgically dealt with. Well, but. You know, the wives are not going to spill their guts. But it, it, it's a fascinating story that, that you, it's fat, you don't, you don't trust anything. You well, what do you think anything. about, what do you think about Michelle Obama then? I don't buy that one, it turns out. Okay. <laughs> her kids look like her. It's an interesting I, I one. think that's, just, I think, I think the meme <laughs> are just having a party with that one. That one, I, that one I don't believe. Have you seen a pregnant then, picture of her? No. 
Okay. Nor have I seen a, a video of the plane hitting the Pentagon. So. <laughs> building seven. That, by the way, is I think the best evidence. I think it's, I think the Pentagon is actually better than building seven. It seems like everything that is violent against the people has been manufactured with an intent, like by the government or some other, like that, that we would never fight amongst each other. It seems like, like even if you go to Las Vegas, like the Las Vegas shooter, we know very little about that incident. I know a lot about that. I wrote is that about suspicious? that. I did a podcast with, it, with John. it falls apart, falls apart from head to toe. John and I were on different planes. John and I were not connecting well. Now, I think John has an interesting theory that the Saudis were trying to assassinate MBS and they fucked up, but that, that was, I have no trouble imagining that story. The problem is there was also crazy batshit chaos going on at ground level that I don't think John's theory holds, holds, explains. But when I, when I saw the Vegas shooting, something piqued my interest very quickly. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why'd that guy just lie? You know, sue someone lies. So when I dug into the climate story, let me back out a little bit. I'm pretty good with science. My brother and, and my brother was saying, how do you know climate change is real? I said, Ned, every fucking person I know, every single one believes in this story. I know a lot of smart people. They all believe in climate change. I, I don't, I, I am unqualified to know. I said to the secretary of energy that I was agnostic and he flinched. I said, I haven't done 10,000 hours. How would I be? qualified to have an opinion. Now, then some doctor starts leaning on me. So I said, okay, dipstick. Um, I didn't call him that. I don't insult people to their faces. Um, no credible person believes your story that it's not true. He said, oh yeah, they do. I said, send me names. Now, I figure he's going to send me names of guys who I've never heard of from Dipstick State College. And I go, you know, it's not that you can't be smart there, but I got I got to see better than that. And he sends me names of elite scientists. I go, okay, but these guys are going to write a paper about how the model didn't work, and therefore, therefore climate change is not true, and that's not true. That's not how it works. And he sends me about 20 names, and I start Googling, and here's 20 famous guys saying... The whole story is bullshit. Nobel Prize winning physicist saying the whole story is bullshit. The former principal investigator of NASA's temperature monitoring program saying the whole story is bullshit. The former founder of Greenpeace, the whole story is bullshit. Founder the former the head of the National Academy of Sciences saying the whole story is bullshit. The Princeton physicist who was a presidential advisor for several presidents said the whole story is bullshit. Freeman fucking Dyson said the whole story is bullshit. The chair of physics department of Prince of of, uh, of Yeshiva University was a Yeshiva, um, not Yeshiva, uh, in Israel. Graduated from college at 18. Solar physicists <clears throat> said every last bit of climate change is attributable to the sun. He wrote an op-ed, stayed up at Forbes for four hours. They took it down. So here's the deal. The fact that there's no credible people don't believe it, that's the first big lie. And I can guarantee you can find these people. The American Physics Society put together an elite committee, included the former Caltech provost computational modeler, former Obama science advisor. He chaired it and they looked at the story and they came out of it and said, 
The science is crap. He wrote a book, Steve Coonan. Now, Steve straddles the line. He says, ah, I'm sure there's some, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's how you keep from getting in a shitstorm. But then when he says, when it comes down to, can you predict the temperature, which, by the way, seems to be a minimum requirement if you're going to make a climate change story. He said, no, it's not possible. What I'll tell you is anyone who knows any physics will say it's chaotic. You can't predict the temperature. Physicists have solved the two-body problem where two things are related to each other. They haven't solved the three-body problem. That gives you an idea how problems, how tough they can be. Physics nonlinear equations are killers. Former president, vice president of one of the 10 biggest companies in the country who's got PhD in physical science. I'm not going to tell you anymore because he's out there on Twitter and I know who he is. Um, said, so when I get in this debate, I just tell people um, it's an unimaginably large number of nonlinear equations that are not solvable. You say, oh, yeah, but we have to. And I go, well, you can't. So you can't say the temperature is going to do this. So you can't justify $150 trillion. And then you start digging into the story and you start finding the bullshit, the little bullshit, like the polar bear. Remember that polar bear starving picture? There's so many of these. That, yeah, and he's sitting there starving on an ice floor. And I go, what do polar bears eat? And I go, anything they want. All the ice. And then out. I'm in the middle of a QTR podcast. They clicked. I go, what if he's 40 fucking years old? What if he's got stomach cancer? We don't know why he's dying. And then you find out that, that one of the world's experts on Arctic mammals says the polar bear population has tripled since the 70s. Yeah. Go, yeah. okay, I guess the polar bear story is sketchy. And then you find out that um, that the world was warm in the Middle Ages. Uh-huh. Go, okay, yeah. so apparently that part of the story is off. And then you say, well, but look, at you've seen the glacier pictures. 1920? 1920, 19, 19, uh, 2020, right? Look at that. The glacier's ripping backwards. Same with the sea level rising. That's sketchy, actually. But then, then um, you find out that what's, what was underneath the glacier. So it recedes. What's under there? And you find out that they're 1,200-year-old trees. They grew there 1,200 years ago. Those glaciers are not some measure something that's been there for for eons and eons and they find that people were growing hops in northern england and places you cannot now grow right. hops yep and then and then it just goes and then you see plots where where the scientists just do shit you go you've got to know you're lying on that one i got in a fight with one of them she blocked me on twitter and and i found the fraud in the paper I said, this paper looks like fraud to me. She said, how can you say that? And I said, look at figure 26. That's crap. She said, well, you got to read the original paper. I went and read it. I said, now I know why it's crap. Here's the problem. And then she blocked me. And so that's what the climate, that if you go against, here's what I promise you. I guarantee you. If you go to a funding agency and you say my data, preliminary data, which you have to have to get funded, you don't just promise to say something with nothing. You got to say, here's some preliminary data. This is why we know the project will work. We're going to now do this. That's how all, all science is funded. You come up with preliminary data, it looks like it's going to show there's no climate change. You will never, ever be funded. 
Yeah. I've asked believers in climate change. I've asked devout believers in climate change. Is that true? And they say, yes. I said, therefore, the entire climate science world are believers only. Or lying. You know, the 97% statistic, 97% of climate changers think it's going to be a catastrophe. Right. They took 1,150 papers. They read only the abstracts. They threw out all the papers that said nothing, and they came down to 79 papers. So someone put some fucking buzz shit in the abstract in 77 of the 79 papers. That's where that stack comes from. The entire climate change community uses that stack. The entire, they have to know they're lying. They have to know they're lying. If you're listening to me, look into my eyes. You're a bunch of fucking liars. When you cite that, you're a liar. I'm calling you a liar. So one day, a Stanford guy wants me to do a, a poll. And he's serious. He's a media guy. He's a media expert. He wants me to do a poll about how chemistry functions, stuff like that. And so he said, you can call me on my cell phone if you want. So I'm going, oh, the guy's serious. So uh, I went and watched a video on YouTube of him talking about media's relationship to a scientific issue. It was climate change. It was about six, seven years ago. And I can see he believes the story. But he's, he's doing a good job of balancing and says, when the right wing comes in, this is what happens, right? He, and I analyze all of it. And then I said, well, I'm happy to do your poll. What I have to do is fess up, is that I've dug into the climate change story. And I gave him about, I don't know, 200 words, which I said, it's bullshit. And he got back to me, he said, well, I did too. And drew the same conclusion. As a media expert, not Mark Crispin Miller, who's at NYU, who calls it bullshit, who's a media expert. So then he got this, the Stanford guy got this, uh, this idea that if he could debunk, which is a word I don't like, actually, the 97% um, stat, that would blow the story out of the water. And I said, oh, you are so not going to do it with that. They have blown so much shit out of the water. The hockey stick that got Al Gore the Nobel Prize, complete fraud, complete fraud. By the way, you know, one of the great plots is where the, the CO2 and the temperature track over 600,000 years. You know, there it is. More CO2, higher temperature. Well, it turns out they're offset, statistically significantly offset. By about 800 years, the temperature rises, then the CO2 appears. And that's fresh from chem. Oceans warm, degas CO2, it's less soluble. The atmosphere picks up CO2. So this this is one of the parts. So this is the topic that I think is so interesting that is that they say in the sovereign individual, and I go back and reference this all the time, which is the 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 climate is if you knew, if you had information that no one else had, that you knew that, you, you know, you can grow crops in different, certain crops in different areas and that there's these cycles, okay? It's not linear. There's cycles that the earth goes through and you know those dates when everything's going to change and transition and food won't be able to grow and that's where humans usually migrate and everything changes, right? And it's not how it used to be for the 500 years. It's just like a solar minimum, something changes. If you had that information, right? Um, you could use that to control the people. And so in the sovereign individual, it references how people would migrate from huge areas of land. Cause like the, the climate would change and they're suggesting something along the lines where there might be this information that whoever runs shit in this world 
has it and that they can control basically where people are going to go or go to where the puck is going and they know everything's going to change. Like, uh, uh, for example, like there's this like rain uh, catcher for floods that was built somewhere in like Saudi Arabia in the desert or somewhere where like rain never occurred, but now it's there. And all of a sudden there's torrential downpour. You have floods going on in like in California, the climate just changes. So if you knew that the climate was changing in some massive way, you could use that to say, okay, we know there's going to be like more crazy events now, but it's normal. It happened, you know, 8,000 years ago, but now it's coming up on that cycle. Let's tell people it's climate change and they're going to see it and they're going to be like, yeah, they're, they're right. And that's, let's... Right. that's, that's like the guy who knows the comet's coming. Says, yeah, I will yeah. summon the, the celestial bodies. Right. That's why, by the way, drugs were important to religion because the guy said, we want to convert you, slip them some mescaline. And he's going, holy fuck, their God's stronger than my fucking God. Yeah. And right? I think that could be true. Now, now recall the true believer. Yep. Oh, you got to refre re refresh your page. We might have to do uh It says stop recording. We might have to do uh, another one. Actually. It just says click refresh the page. He's refreshing the page because we've been on for such a long time. We'll see what happens. Do you know if it missed anything before that or is that a, is that the slice point? Um, we'll just wing that, it. We'll I think just that wing was it. the slice point, but I think we're at max. I think that's the total data on the on your thing on my thing yeah i think so this is what happened last time right around this time i know it we ran out of data so i think what um, is it in some buffer somewhere like if i stop it should i stop it well if you stop and you can download it yeah how I long could, does that take uh it's quick here wait let me click stop 